and welcome to another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. What you been up to, Tim? Ah, uh, a lot of, lot of movie watching. Yeah. Yep. That's good. What kind of movies you been seeing? Uh, mostly Best Picture nominees. Yeah, I've been trying to uh, catch up on that. It's been a little hard. I haven't been able to get out to the theater to see uh, a lot of them. I've got like 180 left. Oh, you're you're not just talking about this year. You're talking about over the yeah. You've been yeah. Okay, I haven't been trying to catch up in that regard, but it's frustrating because I can never finish because the Patriot is lost. That's the one movie that we can never watch. That's a, that was nominated for Best Picture. The Patriot with Mel Gibson. Yes, they destroyed all of the copies <laughs> because it was so horrifying. No, the the Ernst Lubitsch film from I think it was 1929. Ah, oh. yeah. It that's crazy. It's, it was one of six Lubitsch films that were up for Best Picture over the years. And, uh, yeah, as, as far as I know, there, it hasn't been found. Um, anybody listening, check your attic. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Colin, who's the only one who's listening. <laughs> Colin, for the love of God, check your attic. <laughs> He's like, my God, it is here. <laughs> How did you know? Oh, also, be on the lookout for London After Midnight. Yeah, that'd be mm. something. Yeah, and the lost uh, spider, the 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 spider pit scene yeah. from King Kong. I watched the the TCM reconstruction of One and After Midnight last week. There's a reconstruction. Yeah, they um, they because they have the shooting script, and um, they have all of the tight the inner titles. So they there and there's extensive stills because you know yeah, it was, I've seen it was a, a lot studio of photos. film. Yeah, so they do the thing where like. <clears throat> The camera kind of like pans over stills and stuff while uh sort of ken burns style yeah and they they have um i'm not sure if it's the score that was written for the film because in the late by the by the late 20s they would often be able to sync them because mm-hmm. uh, it was 27 but um it, it was fairly effective you know like i wish i could actually see yeah that the motion picture but <clears throat> of all of the lost films out there would you rank that one as one of the most, uh, I guess, sought after? Or would that be the one that you would want to see the most? Um, no. I mean, maybe one of the most sought after, but me personally, I, like, I've read things by too many people, or I've read too many things by people <laughs> who have said, like, oh, I saw it when it came out, and people are going to be really disappointed. <laughs> because, I mean, it was remade just eight years later by the same director mm. uh, as Mark of the Vampire. And that's not a very good film. <laughs> um, and I, and it, it started out with basically the same story. And I mean, I watched the reconstruction. It is basically Mark of the Vampire. The main difference is Lon Chaney looked a lot cooler than Bela Lugosi did in that movie. Because in Mark of the Vampire, Bela Lugosi, first of all, only has one line in the last like five seconds of the movie. Um, not that Lon Chaney had lines in the silent film. Right. <laughs> um, but he just, you know, he looked like Count Dracula, whereas mm. you've seen Chaney's makeup. Yeah. And after midnight's amazing yeah, with if, the fangs and everything. Yeah. If anyone doesn't know uh, what we're even talking about, <laughs> if you're not familiar with <laughs> London after midnight, um, you might've, you might be familiar with, there's a uh, famous shot of Lon Chaney, uh, not Lon Chaney Jr., his father, the original, the OG Lon Chaney. The man uh, of a thousand faces. Yes. Um, 
from Hunchback of Notre Dame and Phantom of the Opera. Unholy Three. Yeah. Um, but there's a picture of him wearing like a top hat and his eyes are bugged out and he's got these fangs and he, you know, um, kind of looks like long hair. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a, it's a film that has been lost. And, um, I guess for a lot of horror buffs in particular, um, it's sort of one of the, you know, I guess the Holy grails of if, if someone were to find it, it would be uh, big news. Although I would put the version of Jekyll and Hyde that F.W. Murnau directed that featured Lugosi in an early silent role, I would put that way above that. That would definitely be really <laughs> cool to see, for sure. And also there's a um, there's a silent Canadian film about a werewolf that uh, I haven't even heard of anything that anybody had even seen it. Mm. They know it exists because it was on some like registry or something. But you never know when these things are going to pop up because it, it happens you know um often and within the last uh you know five to ten years there have been big discoveries of other things like um metropolis there's nearly a uh, complete version of that that exists now which i mean you have to consider that a miracle that they're able to find mm. the, the missing pieces for that um and there are films that I think there was a good 20 years where people assumed that Nosferatu was gone and it kind of resurfaced in the 50s mm. or maybe the late 40s. And uh, James Whale's The Old Dark House. Um, really? Was I that? guess they, they thought that they had destroyed all the in like in the early 60s because there was a remake of The Old Dark House. They tried to like suppress all the copies of the original one. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no crazy. one cares about the remake at this point in time. See, but, now that would be a real reason to be upset. Yeah. If like, they're like, oh, they're remaking RoboCop. <laughs> that means they're getting rid of, <laughs> like, all right, everybody, like, get out your old RoboCop DVDs and throw them on the fire because there's that's, a new version. That's like, when they get pissed about remakes. Yeah, that, that that's a legitimate reason. <laughs> yeah. Then there's, I mean, there are so many films that have been lost because um, as that scene in Inglorious Bastards uh, showed. Mm-hmm. People used to just set films on fire. Well, and not even like, on purpose, but just like... The, no, well, often on purpose, to clear up storage space. Oh, well, yeah, that. And like, just, oh, like, we got all these old films so in our warehouse. so highly flammable that, yeah. you know, they, oftentimes it would just... Accidents would happen, burn yeah. down whole warehouses. There were and, accidents, and then there were, quote, accidents. Right. Because those films were insured also. Yeah. Now, this is a tangent. <laughs> and we it just started. <laughs> I don't remember... Oh, I brought up The Patriot. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, it is tied to the Oscars somehow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you know, I mean, miracles happen. You never know where they're where they're gonna pop up. But I mean, every day that goes by, and as you know, we get further and further into the future, it becomes less and less likely that these things are gonna still be around in any kind of watchable form. As uh, like <clears throat> less than fifty percent of all films made before nineteen fifty exist. Yeah, that I mean, that is just insane when you think about it. Yeah. <sighs> now that now we're sad. Let's talk about Shirley Temple being dead. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, that's a. I mean, it's a shame. It's kind of like what we talked about last week with Philip Seymour Hoffman. I mean, it's always sad when a you know, Shirley Temple is a beloved icon, yeah, more so than just like a you know well respected actor or actress. I mean, she like is let. That's like a legendary icon status. Um, 
so yeah i mean like it's 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 a shame and but at the same i mean she was like 85 years old and she definitely lived a full life yeah and she had like her early life in show business and then her adult life in politics and and based on the reaction that i saw online most people were like shirley temple's still alive or she was (laughs) um yeah i don't think a lot of people even realized that she was uh, still alive well i mean as long as we all just like think of her she'll live forever because every time you think of her she'll wake up and uh and you can hang (laughs) out with her again Uh, that's true um if the bluebird has any sort of truth to it which it must i mean it's the fucking bluebird <laughs> yeah and that's um, the only shirley temple film you ever saw aside from the uh the oh fort apache fort, aside from fort apache yeah. which you know isn't really a shirley temple movie yeah um the only one that i saw from her even though the bluebird is on the tail end of her sort of peak it's it's of start at stardom um it is weird how it's just like literally a month ago i we watched the bluebird randomly really <laughs> random choice of a movie to watch and uh yeah that was my first real experience with shirley temple and you know i had a good month of you know living in that shirley temple sun <laughs> now it's all over well at least i mean you started at the bottom <laughs> and then like the next time you feel like watching a shirley temple film you'll be like oh this is damn good yeah hopefully one thing that's helping me watch a lot of more a lot more movies. Well, well first of all, like recent movies, I, we have Bowtie Cinema now, which does their six dollar movies on Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. So the, the one of, day of the, during the week yeah. that I have to work, which uh, so I've been seeing a lot sucks. of recent films, so I can kind of like I can finally catch up with what other people are talking about in relation to movies. Because <laughs> usually when I want to talk about movies, right. it's like oh, it's like, have you like have you heard about the Bluebird <laughs> from nineteen forty? What'd you say we watch it? <laughs> Um, but also like just a few months ago, I found out that I've had a DVR for the past four years and you haven't even like taken advantage of it. I didn't know it it was there. I didn't. And one day I like pressed a button accidentally or something or no, I hit the record button accidentally and I was like, Oh, what's it doing? What's going on here? And like, I was like, (laughs) so I've basically been recording like almost like a movie a day off tcm nice yeah and uh, what sucks now they're doing the 31 days of oscar hmm. and i'm trying to catch up with all the best picture nominees over the years and they're showing like almost all of them this month i have to pick and choose though because i'm so backed up right that like yeah um i mean they're also showing things like the other night um the theme of the night was best original screenplay nominees from 1940 wow so, like, I finally got to see The Great McGinty, which uh, was the first film that Preston Sturgis ever directed. And I, I love Preston Sturgis, but I've never seen that one. Because um, he was, like, one of the first people, uh, John Huston came, like, right after him. who was, like, he had been a very successful writer. And he was, like, please let me direct. These people are ruining my scripts. And, like, The Great McGinty was a huge hit. So he was able to have, like, this great string of films in the early 40s that he wrote and directed. Mm. Um but yeah, the Great McGinney was it was fun. He got better, I think, but um, I could see where he was going from it. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I um, I've been trying to catch up on the uh, on this year's nominated uh, films, um, mainly because you know of of the of the show. Yeah, <laughs> um, and we're gonna be talking about all of those. Um, 
but I also at uh, at Amy's I got around to watching uh, Frozen, and today I just watched August Osage County, um, which is a nominee. Both of those are nominees this year. Um, Frozen is up for you know best animated film and uh, as well as best song, which uh, we will be taking a look at that song later in the show. Um, Let it go. Which apparently has been uh, people have been talking about it and singing it and singing its praises. I wonder if when I we guess. listen to it tonight, I'll be like, "Oh, that song!" Like if it's been on the radio or something. And I just and I had I didn't I didn't hear any sort of buzz around the song at all until I saw the movie. But um, I think I think it's a really cool song. I really liked Frozen a lot, and I was kind of surprised um, how much I en- enjoyed it. Um, which I guess I shouldn't have been surprised because it had been getting a lot of good reviews, not just from critics, but from friends of mine, like Chris and John both saw it and they, they really liked it. When they were up for Christmas, right? They saw it at Bowtie? Uh, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I know that Ryan and somebody else did. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think it really, um, manages to update and modernize the sort of Disney princess kind of story and do it right is that one based on like a classic fairy tale i think it's i think it's based on something called the snow queen or okay yeah i think that's what it's called the snow queen yeah this is the first disney movie of of the official sort of disney feature film animated canon i guess uh this is the first one since the so-called golden age or second golden age that they had the renaissance the renaissance yeah i guess the golden age would be you know the the initial sort of everything up till 101 dalmatians when they changed the style or whatever right or you could go up until walt's death which would be jungle book was the last one that he had input but even before that that was when they started to do the yeah they were like xeroxing and you could see the lines and it wasn't as smooth or whatever yeah which i like that animation style i think it looks kind of cool yeah it's in that um sort of 60s and 70s sort of like robin hood yeah jungle book 100 mon dalmatians um sword in the stone um but it's like because of i mean i grew up in the 80s and those right. those are the ones that were like on vhs and yeah, like they yeah. were i didn't realize like oh this is like low rent disney and then like oh snow white cinderella alice in wonderland Pinocchio, Sleeping those Beauty are like and, the great right, yeah. and like those are great movies oh, but yeah. like i yeah as a little kid you don't differentiate but really. i yeah i would say like the first phase of disney would be like snow white to i think like well yeah, I guess like Snow White to 101 Dalmatians. That's like the first, that's like, you know, I guess the golden age. And then like silver, if we're going to talk in comic book terms, you'd say you'd call the silver age. So from 101 Dalmatians to Oliver the great, and Company. Okay, yeah. I was going to say the Great Mass Detective, but Oliver, Oliver came after and Company, that. And then yeah. the Little Mermaid. And then kicked Little off Mermaid the kicks off the, the Disney Renaissance, which um, obviously that was when we were growing up. Yeah, those are the movies those of our generation. Amazing, exciting movies and of our youth. I'm, I couldn't be. I mean, those movies are, even today, they hold up so well. I jumped ship after The Lion King because of just my age. Right. So I didn't. I never saw Pocahontas. Um, I never saw Hunchback. Mm-hmm. Um, because I loved 
the Lon Chaney Hunchback and the Charles Lawton Hunchback, and I was like, this thing looks stupid. <laughs> this isn't, what is this nonsense? Yeah, yeah. He's got gargoyle friends. The whole right. point is he's alone. He doesn't have any friends. If he's got his fucking singing gargoyle friends, why is he so sad? But are the gargoyles really talking gargoyles, or are they the result of his deranged, lonely mind? If he believes that they're talking gargoyles, then he's got friends. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, but it is kind of sad that his only friends are just, like, you know... I, I did recently see... Bird shit covered, <laughs> rain-guzzling gargoyles. This past summer, I saw Hercules, hmm. which I thought was a piece of crap. Oh, really? A, yeah. It was just annoying, and... See, I, I guess maybe, I like, know. for me, I guess I was a little... I mean, I'm a little younger than you. Yeah. Um, Well, you're 23, and I'm 42. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't know how we get along so well. <laughs> the generational gap is just huge. But um, <laughs> I like older men, I guess. <laughs> or maybe it's just uh, Tim likes younger boys. I don't but... know what's going on anymore. Let's just get back to Disney now. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, Lion King, to me, kind of marks like, I mean, there's that stretch there that's just like Little Mermaid. Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Aladdin, Lion King, which is just like four in a row. Each one's outstanding. Um, Pocahontas, like I remember, I didn't end up, I didn't see that in the theater. Um, I saw it over at a friend's house, like when it came out on VHS, and it was always one that I just like didn't have as much of an attachment to. It it kind of ju- like Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and the Lion King. I mean, like. They're so fan in fantasy, mm-hmm. and then Pocahontas is just like a takeoff. It's more, it's more a, real. Well, a yeah. bastardization of real events. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, this twelve-year-old who hooked up with this guy. Well, here's a cartoon about that. Like, yeah, and she has like a happy raccoon friend, and like a, you know her yeah. grandma tree, and, and yeah, it's John really Smith weird. comes and saves her and makes her his love slave and kidnaps her to Europe. Or, yeah. I didn't see the movie. I'm just assuming <laughs> you're filling in the blank based on things that I've heard from history books or so i don't know yeah well um then hunchback i you haven't seen it no there are some really great things about that movie um for instance like the opening number is fucking spellbinding how does it go it's called the bells of notre dame and it's like a uh like a court jester kind of character like a uh uh, like a gypsy, I guess. And he belts out this, like, unbelievable song. And it's just epic. And well, how does it like, go? Uh, I can't sing it. I don't know. <laughs> it's been years since I've seen right, that okay, movie. Bye. But, I mean, it's like... I I would like to see that movie just for just for that opening. Um, it kind of goes in that into the way that, like, the opening of Lion King is, like, one of the best openings of a movie ever that initial like un- like by the time you reach you know the, the name of the movie the lion king you're like whoo you're, you're gripping on the edge of your seat like in a theater as a little kid oh yeah. man <laughs> just unbelievable that was that that might be one of the 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 greatest years in modern not modern recent movie history 94 94 yeah you had the lion king 
Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction yeah. Forrest Gump, Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. Um, the other ones I wrote for Best Picture were Quiz Show and Four Weddings and a Funeral, which are very good movies. I don't know if they're great movies. Um, Red, the last of Kieslowski's Three Colors trilogy. Um, oh, I can't think of it. I had like a whole list. The other day I was just thinking about it. And like I came yeah. up with like this whole list of like all these great movies from that year. But, but um, yeah, Hunchback kind of starts in that real epic kind of way and th- that movie gets dark like there's the uh the villain in that movie i forget his name he's like um kind of aligned with like the the church yeah he's like a priest or he's the like well in the bishop or something the other films he's like the priest's brother okay right? yeah maybe i don't remember but um I've never read the actual, like, novel, so I mostly go by the 1939 Charles Lawton version. Like, he wants Esmeralda. And, like, I'm not... I'm talking about, like, the the Disney movie. Yeah. Like, he's, like, really jonesing for her. And there's, like... Like, he tries to, like, rape her. And I think there's, like, a whole song about, like, his lust for her. And it's just, like, it's fucking creepy. And he's, like, staring into, like the fire and it, it's like the fires of hell and he's like i will have you you know <laughs> it's really fucking dark isn't there a song like that in the lion king too where scars uh singing about the girl yeah i mean it's interesting like hunchback and lion king are kind of uh similar in that way like where lion king gets really dark too um i mean fucking scars like thrown into the pit of hell and eaten alive by hyenas that might have been my problem with um hercules i mean even though you know it you're in like the land of the dead and stuff and hades is there and it's still it never really got dark because it was always they always had the stupid one-liners and wisecracks right which date of like so many of the disney films are timeless Mm mm-hmm but Hercules is so like late nineties because yeah. of all like the the timely things and like parts of Aladdin are like that with Robin Williams. Yeah, but it works in that, and maybe that's my age. I don't know, but I don't know. Yeah, and you know it's hard to know whether it's nostalgia talking or not. But I mean Hercules, like I remember being, I remember really enjoying that movie. I think I went to the drive-in to see it. Um, that to me kind of marks like the end of the Renaissance in a way. Because next up there was like Tarzan, and I think that's like I don't think Tarzan was a musical. Maybe it was. But then weren't all the songs by Phil Collins? Or were they like? I think they might have been the song, songs like, that were like sort like of nobody sung. was singing. I don't them, think the characters were singing. Oh, okay. Um, so I, I think like there's like that that musical renaissance there. But ever since then, like Frozen is really like the first one of that canon that I've seen that I think is like wow, this is really good. And I could see sort of kickstarting another kind of, hopefully another age of really great Disney movies. I watched Hercules with Ava. Oh, yeah? And um, when it was over, I, I turned to her, I was like, you liked that? And she was like, yeah, I love that. And I was like, well, you should go to a special school. Why would you say and, that? And then I took one of her toys and I threw it on the ground. And I went, I didn't really say that. <laughs> But when like, she Good said, "God, she... did, did Jenny slap you?" <laughs> I don't remember where Je- was Jenny. Jenny was there. <laughs> she wasn't even there. It's like you took Ava. Like, come on, Ava, I'm going to show you a movie. No, there a were special movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, there were a couple of times, like this past, like spring or summer or something, where like 
Jenny was like, I have to go something, watch this movie with Ava. Uh, yeah. So I, I watched something. I think I watched, like, Thomas the Tank Engine for the first time. But, like, just, you know, the TV show, not like a movie or anything. Um, with Ringo Starr? Or was it Alec Baldwin? Or was that a different thing? Wasn't it like the American version had Alec Baldwin? Oh. I don't remember what I watched. Okay. That was the night of the fire, actually. So I didn't really remember much of it. Oh, the night of Joel's fire? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because Jenny had, like, Jenny and Ava were just up all night. So she was like, you need to watch Ava while I figure this thing out. And I, had mm-hmm. to, I don't know. But anyway, yeah, um, I, di- I did ask her, though, like, you know, oh, you liked that. And she said, yeah. And I, I did ask her, like, can you tell me why? Or, like, can you help <laughs> me like it? Because I didn't really like it. And I want to know what you liked about it. Mm-hmm. And she, um, I don't know, she didn't really, she wasn't very helpful. I liked it <laughs> when I was a kid. Like, I saw it. Um, and at that time, like, I was uh, kind of big into, like, Greek mythology and stuff already. Okay. Um, so that was like part of my enjoyment How of it. Were I you think. Then? When did the movie come out? Was it like ninety eight or ninety seven? I must I have been in fourth or fifth grade then. Is that like the Greek mythology? Because I'm I was trying to think of like when I everybody has that phase. I think. Right, yeah, I'm trying it's to like, figure out like when it was. I'm really into Greek mythology. Yeah, and it's such <laughs> a random thing for like, but you get to a point. I mean, for me, I got into it because of like the Ray Harryhausen movies. Yeah, that makes sense. From the '60s that I would catch on TV. Yeah, I mean, maybe Hercules was. That might have even been part of the reason why I became interested in it. I just remember being in that time. I was like. I don't know. I I was, you know, I read like the the Odyssey and like just, I actually did a whole school report on it and I made like a whole diorama with like the island with the Cyclops and I was, I was just into all that kind of stuff. Um, but for some reason, like Luke and I became obsessed with like the McDonald's Happy Meal toys of Hercules. Like we just made it our like goal to like collect all of them so we were going to mcdonald's like all the time to get them and i don't remember any other time before or after that where we were were like so hellbent on like collecting all of the happy meal toys did you get them all because i think yeah i I think we got them all i think i have some somewhere if you need any (laughs) more i don't remember why i had them it's such a random thing i don't (laughs) even know like what like what was so captivating about it but yeah i don't know i haven't seen that movie in a long time but but anyway, yeah, Frozen really feels like a return to form, um, especially in... I, I didn't see The Princess and the Frog, which was the last traditionally animated, you know, 2D Disney princess movie, musical, in which they were trying to recapture some of that Disney renaissance butter. Um, With the first black princess. All right. But Frozen really feels like... Um, I don't know. It feels like they nailed it. Like if I was a kid and I was going to see Frozen, like I probably would have uh, really loved it. And I was hesitant on it because everything that I saw about it, like any poster or commercial or trailer or whatever, like it was just all about this like stupid looking snowman who I, I don't know. You probably have seen the snowman character. I don't even... Even though that movie is still in theaters, it's been in theaters for like three months now. I don't remember 
anything from like the commercials, like from when it first came out. Hmm. It had yeah, because it was in theaters before Christmas. From before Christmas, yeah. And here we are in February, and that's still out there. It's been it was it's been a huge success. Yeah. It's uh. Yeah, it's been really big for Disney. Um, I hope that they kind of continue on in that same direction because I think they really tapped into something real nice. Um, but yeah, the the the, the snowman character kind of I don't know made me wary. He's like this like short sort of buck tooth looking silly snowman, and I was just like, I don't know, I don't know about the snowman. I don't know if I can take it. But surprisingly, he's he's not really in the movie that much. And when he is, it's not like he's annoying. He's fine. But holy crap, like it, the movie looks amazing. The music is great. And all the songs I thought, you know, were uh, really well composed to like move the story along. It's the kind of thing that, like, I can totally imagine this being done on, like, Broadway or in a theater or something. Um, Which, knowing Disney... They probably will. And knowing Broadway... Yeah. Yeah, that w- that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, but, yeah, I guess we'll talk a little bit more about Frozen later when we listen to the song. I wonder if either of the movies we'll be talking about tonight would... Uh do well as Broadway musicals. Um would anybody dare? <laughs> I mean for very different reasons. Given the choice between the two, I would think I mean obviously I think 12 Years a Slave is probably more easily translatable to a theater performance. Gravity would be pretty tough. It could be done. It could be. But, I mean, you have essentially a cast of one, well, two, really. Just a lot of solos. But what makes Gravity so great is, like, getting inside that helmet, you know? And, like, getting inside the experience of, like, holy crap, I am, like... And you saw it in 2D, Yeah, yeah. When I was watching it, I couldn't imagine, like... Like, I kept thinking, like, oh, poor Max. Yeah, (laughs) I know. How frustrating was that? (laughs) Well, going back to Frozen, if you get a chance to see Frozen in 3D, I would highly recommend it. Oh, so that is a 3D film. That's not... I think pretty much any computer animated film is like a 3D movie. And you can tell that this movie was definitely made with the intention of being in 3D. Okay, so it wasn't like they did it one way and then they made it 3D. Like, it's a 3D film. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, one of the... Like, the very first shot of the movie is like something coming at you because like i'll see it like on the marquee and like when they list the movies it'll be like oh gravity is playing at like 8 30 gravity 3d is playing at nine in this theater Mm -hmm. i didn't see a frozen 3d yeah well i mean like it didn't seeing it in 2d didn't hinder my enjoyment of it but i mean i can definitely imagine that like seeing it in 3d is probably a cooler experience um that means I'd have to be nine dollars instead of six dollars. Oh, it'd be nine dollars instead of six dollars. <laughs> I want a golden goose, Daddy. <laughs> uh, anyway. I want it now. <laughs> um, before we uh, get into the uh, the movies of the 
evening. I just want to touch on uh, August Osage County. Okay. Um, which it's up for uh, best actress, best actress and best supporting actress, um, Meryl Streep and Julia Roberts. Which one's supporting? Julia Roberts. Do you agree with that? Yes, I do. Right. Um, I think uh, I haven't seen it. Well, do I agree with the classification of her being a supporting actress? Yeah. Because it looks more like an she, ensemble type. It thing, is. Like. It's an ensemble, um, and there definitely are characters who are in more supporting roles. Julia Roberts, she really is more of one of the leads, though. I guess. Would you say they should have both been up for best actress? Because like things like it gets tricky with things like uh, like The Godfather, mm-hmm. where like everybody gets nominated, and you have like Marlon Brando up for best actor, and then Al Pacino. Uh, as well as James Caan and Robert Duvall up for Best Supporting Actor. And it's like, Al Pacino... Should be... It's it's his movie. But top build means lead, technically. It's tough. Like, I don't... It's so random. Yeah. And then you get things like All About Eve, where it's like, Betty Davis is the star of that movie. And then uh, Ann Baxter... They decided to like instead of best supporting actor, they put her up for best act or best supporting actress. I mean, they put her against Betty Davis, both in the same movie, competing with each other. Hmm. Which is just that's no, that's not right. Yeah, <laughs> no. it doesn't make any sense. I think Julia Roberts definitely could be within the context of the movie. Her character could be considered like a lead character for sure. Because in the trailer, um, that. The impression I got was that Julia Roberts was like kind of the lead. Yeah, um, it's a little. I mean, yeah, she definitely is. But it's a little hard to define because I mean, Meryl Streep's character is kind of the center of everything. Um, and she is uh, she's amazing in the movie, by the way. Um, Meryl Streep. Yeah. Finally, and- <laughs> after decades <laughs> of all finally these pedestrian performances. Yeah. No, I mean it definitely was the kind of thing where it's like you see the nom- nominations and you're like, oh, surprise, surprise, Meryl Streep was in a movie, so I guess she has to. She's like required to be nominated. But I mean, it's it is well deserved. I mean, she really transforms into this. I mean, it's the kind of character that I've never seen her play, where she's very like crass and like kind of a horrible person but tragic at the same time and like she's kind of suffering from like some kind of mental illness like dementia and like she goes through all these different kind of colors um yeah i mean i I was uh impressed by her and julia roberts um was really great the whole cast was uh, one of the cool things about the movie is just how they kind of like build up the cast of characters. Um, when I was watching it, I was thinking like Tim would really like this movie, I think, <laughs> because it reminds me of like kind of the, uh, I don't know, you like the Woody Allen, Robert Altman kind of, I don't know, more simple kind of stories just about real people dealing with real relationship issues and kind of just like and not just like relationship between like you know uh, a boy and a girl and their you know love relationship but like between family members and friends and like you know i don't know just like a very kind of real drama 
and there's just a lot of things in 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 this movie um (laughs) that i don't know if it's weird that it reminds me of you or of something that you'd like (laughs) when it's like you know there's like this kind of like i mean i don't don't really want to give too much away but i do plan on seeing it like sometime next week yeah you definitely should i uh i really enjoyed it the cast is phenomenal um every actor it's it's the kind of movie that's just that gets filled with just like great actors and they're all so great together there's one scene in particular it's like a long scene and it uh is just riveting where they're all together um they're all sitting together at at dinner and uh it's it's crazy but I, yeah, I mean, I, I was surprised. I didn't know anything about the movie going in. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely recommend it. Give it a shot um, to any of you out there listening. Yeah, I say, say you go for it. It was cool. Um, for some reason, I was just reminded that uh, the Princess Bride is playing a bow tie this weekend. Really? Oh, wait, no, I know. It was because you mentioned that it had good. Like the whole cast was good, mm-hmm. and then I was like, "Oh, it has Benedict Cumberbatch." Right. And then I was like, "Chester Copperpot," and then I was like, "Prince Humperdinck," because <laughs> <laughs> they're just all these silly names. That's such a <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Humperdinck, um, Cumberbatch, Princess Bride. So yeah, that's uh, if you got an extra four dollars and fifty cents, and you're in Saratoga this weekend, you can go see that on the big screen. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen the Princess Bride. Um, I haven't seen it in full in a long. Like usually, like, I'll watch a few minutes on, on TV. TV or something. Yeah, that's a great movie though. Hopefully, it won't end up like when I went to see Beetlejuice there, and I was like, "Oh, when I was five, this was a masterpiece. This is just a mess. <laughs> like it's got all these great things in it. Mm-hmm. But why did they put it together like this? No, I think Princess Bride is. I think it holds up. I mean, it's been a few years since I've seen it, but I mean, I've seen it since I was a kid. And yeah. I've really enjoyed it. Even more so than I was a kid. Well, yeah, there's a lot because of like, there's, sly there's, winks. Yeah, there's and a lot of stuff and... that. Uh... And as you like get older and you like know all those actors from other things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of sly winks, there's one line in Frozen where I was like, holy shit. Like they just made a joke about the size of that guy's dick. And maybe maybe you can pick it out when you see it. I'll but, um, look for it. <laughs> but I was like, it is a pretty blatant, like, you know, <laughs> uh, reference. Um, it, yeah, it was really funny, though. I was like, and it's the kind of thing, it's the kind of wording where I was like, okay, yeah, if I was a kid, I probably wouldn't be able to put that together. But seeing it, it was just like, it was almost shocking because I was like, what? Did they really just say that? Like, okay. That's cool. But, yeah, anyway. Which movie do you want to talk about first? Gravity. Okay. We'll save the uh, <laughs> the depressing one for later. And you just you just watched Gravity. I so did. It's nice I, and fresh on your mind. Um, I've talked about Gravity in a couple other episodes. Um, shared some of my thoughts on it. But, uh... I never got into too much detail because you hadn't seen it yet. Um, so what did you think? That uh, was good. It was good. 
<laughs> yeah, it was good. It was good. Yeah, it was a it was a it was a fine film. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's all I got. All right, twelve years of slave. <laughs> all right, just to recap, Gravity. It's good. Um, Sandra Bullock is up for Best Actress, right? Yes. yes. I was gonna. She has to like. Yeah, um, so that was uh, she, she. She really, um, I don't know. In my eyes, kind of proved herself as like a, uh, a really great performer. Um, Were you unconvinced before this? Yeah, I, I guess so. Hadn't seen uh, Speed. <laughs> that, I've actually never seen Speed. That that, that, that is literally like one of the only uh, kind of things that I had really known her for. Speed. Well. Like, um, in uh, Miss Congeniality, mm-hmm. I think she's great in that. I never saw Which, it. That's one of those movies where, like, it's just it's like a cheesy movie, whatever. Like, it's funny. I mean, William Shatner and Michael Caine are hilarious. Yeah, I don't know. It's just like, I mean, I was <laughs> I was pretty young when like that movie came out, and I just remember seeing the commercials and stuff. That was like ten years ago. I it? know. That's what I'm saying. I was young, yeah, and I would yeah. see the commercials, and I'm just like, Ugh, I don't want to see that. And like you know, my, it's the kind of movie where my grandma's just like, "Oh my god, I love that Sandra Bullock! I want to see that movie." And I'm just like, "I don't want to see that." <laughs> she, she, I, I think she was really good. But, um, although it, it is one of those movies where early on, um, people are not supposed to be aware that she's attractive. Which, hmm. which you know you can't really buy that with the, that's the, it's like the she's all that thing where like oh that girl's wearing glasses and then one day she takes glasses off <laughs> oh, oh I didn't notice God. that girl was hot <laughs> yeah right it's like no and all the guys are like slack jawed as she like comes walking down the <laughs> stairs on prom night or something uh, um but yeah no Miss Congeniality is not the movie we're talking about <laughs> I'm just trying to think of other Sandra Bullock films I've seen I, it's, Speed it, Speed 2 I didn't see either of the. Uh, <laughs> was she? Oh, she was. She was she's the like one. The lead, yeah, over. she's like the lead in Speed Two. Um, which yeah. is so. Having not seen Speed or Speed Two, I was still pissed off about that with Speed Two, where it's like that. I don't know. Speed Two is really weird because it's like, okay, in Speed you've got the runaway bus, which I mean the stakes are pretty high with the runaway bus because you're like swerving dodging people you know crashing through shit smashing down the, the sidewalk like full blast through cars at intersections when you're on a fucking boat that's like speeding out of control it's like okay we better not crash into that water over there you know it's just like i don't know the stakes don't feel it's as like high kind of keep making a circle yeah. and we should be okay <laughs> yeah. uh, i don't exactly remember the whole plot uh, i'm sure they explained it in some way where it's like why they can't just like you know just do that or just go out to sea or whatever why they have to crash into the shoreline but yeah it's kind of ridiculous Okay, I'm I'm look I'm on IMDb and I'm looking at Sandra Bullock movies, and I'm it's coming back to me while you were sleeping. Never seen with uh, Peter Gallagher and Bill Pullman. Gallagher's in it. Peter Gallagher, <laughs> my uh, my eyebrow idol. Um, that that was that and Hope Floats. I've seen Hope Floats. Um, those are both 
the kind of movies that I think kind of gained her the whole like America's Sweetheart type thing. Cause like mm. they're not great movies, but it's like, oh, she's adorable. Right. <laughs> uh, I saw A Time to Kill, the Joel Schumacher, John Grisham movie. Then that's. I remember uh, when, <laughs> what, what year did that movie come out? Time to Kill? Yeah. Another Matthew McConaughey film. Uh, 1996. Wow. Okay. So. <laughs> I must have just been really unoriginal. I remember when I was a kid, it was around the time that um, Tomorrow Never Dies or The World Is Not Enough came out, you know, James Bond. I was trying to think of, like, oh, if, like, what, what, what would be a good title for a James Bond movie? <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> Time to Kill would be like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a Bond movie. And I thought I was so clever. I guess I was really unoriginal. Um, one on this list that I forgot that I watched, and I watched it like four or five days ago, <laughs> was Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, which was another Best Picture nominee. Right. Yeah. Which, um, she was very good in it. What did you think of that movie? I thought it was not a great movie. Yeah. I thought that, um... It was a somewhat realistic depiction of a kid with Asperger's, but it made me feel like a horrible person for thinking like, wow, I hate kids with Asperger's. <laughs> like if I met that kid in real life, I would be like, it shouldn't have been your father. It should have been you. Um, <laughs> like just like I just wanted him to shut I up. I hate that <laughs> movie because it re revealed how awful a person I am. Well, I there are several movies that I hate for that reason. Because like, wow, how dare they make me think these evil thoughts? <laughs> yeah, totally the movie's fault. Yeah. Um, no, I mean I just didn't. It was, it was I, interesting. I just thought it was kind of cheesy and like. Yeah, and I, I it doesn't. I don't know. I, I had kind of high hopes because it was um, Stephen Daldry, the guy who did The Hours, which I thought was a really great film. Um, and, you know, you got uh, Tom Hanks mm -hmm. uh, and Max von Sydow. Right. Who doesn't speak in the movie. Yeah, but he, he, still, just uses, like, he still did like a somewhat good performance. But even he seemed like he was like cartoonish. Yeah. <laughs> uh. But anyway, another movie that's not Gravity. Uh. <laughs> and it never will be <laughs> it never will be um i didn't realize until the end credits that ed harris was mission control really yeah just like he was in apollo 13 wow they must have done that on purpose i would assume so i so feel it's like, like do you think it's like it's in the same continuity it's the same world uh i mean i don't know what the retirement plan is for NASA, but I'd like to think that if you were working there in 1970, you wouldn't still be working there today. Maybe he's playing his son in the in Gravity. Oh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, that's cool. But, that's yeah. a, that's a nice little homage. Yeah. I guess because Apollo 13 was really like. Well, I guess there was um. The right stuff, which was sort of like the, I haven't seen the first kind of. Even though uh, that was a best picture nominee, I I haven't seen it either. I ha I um. I have the book which I never read, the Tom Wolfe book. <clears> I have it on, on I have it on VHS actually. 
but uh i've never got around to watching it but i think that was like kind of one of the first like astronaut movies um realistic yeah sort of real well i mean you know (laughs) like you know robinson Crusoe on mars and you know all that kind of you know 2001 space odyssey right star wars (laughs) star that star wars is an astronaut movie. flash gordon okay yeah all right yeah astronaut (laughs) um (laughs) luke skywalker it's like how would you describe star wars as someone who's never seen it before it's like well (laughs) astronaut luke skywalker (laughs) young farm boy (laughs) aspires to be an astronaut yeah it's weird to think of um the evolution of flares like lens flares yeah because in like it was something you needed to stay away from for decades and then like in the late 50s they sort of started to use them a little bit to be like oh well we'll show how hot it is out right by showing some flares um but it was like a very obvious like this is why they're doing that and then a little bit in the 60s they were kind of like oh this happened there's a flare let's leave it in the 70s they kind of used it more artistically um yeah like, like in, i'm thinking like terrence malick films and like badlands and, and just things. like you know a lot of like uh, clubs in like disco club sequences and like party kind of stuff like yeah a lot of lens flare a lot of like you know just bright, think, you know, looking at the bright lights the way they're used in gravity is just it was amazing <laughs> just like the that was like one of the visually that was one of the most impressive things to me just like the way that the lens flares were just like coming at me and reflecting off of everything and see i guess that's one of the things that like i mean i saw it in 2d and the lens flares didn't even occur to me so i guess i was missing out i mean if you're a fan of lens flares then 3d is the way to see gravity (laughs) are you a fan of lens flares i mean if they're used appropriately (laughs) You know, I'm sure there's a joke about Star Trek and J.J. Abrams in there, but I mean, to me, like the lens flares in those movies, like don't really bother me that much. I think the reaction to it is sort of a little blown out of proportion. But what is that? In the in J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies, have you seen that? I saw the first one. It's the first one I ever saw on Blu-ray. Oh, okay. Um. Yeah, people complain that there are too many lens flares in in that movie. Why? exactly that's my point (laughs) like i don't understand exactly i mean i i I like that um one thing that impressed me in gravity was that and i'm assuming it would be the same with star trek is that you had flares like from the light source when the light source didn't exist Mm -hmm. they made the flares right because they're so i mean like i don't know i'm impressed by that not annoyed well the in star trek i mean and once you sort of like are looking for them or that you're aware that like oh people complain about there being too many lens flares and you actually watch it with that kind of mindset there are some shots that are pretty covered with with all kinds of different lens flares but i mean yeah jj abrams kind of they were they were all deliberately put there um his sort of reasoning or thinking that he sort of the way he defended it was kind of saying like, you know, his interpretation was like, oh, the future is so bright that like you can't even. The future's look... so bright, I gotta wear shades. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
that it's like you can't contain it within the frame of the film and that it's just always like you know bleeding over into everything um yeah i don't know it doesn't really bother me that much but yeah i mean there there are some really really impressive feats in gravity is it up for best sound um it i mean it must right i i don't (laughs) it should be take a quick um it just you know i kept thinking of the the alien tagline in space no one can hear you scream Mm -hmm. or killer clowns matter space in space no one can eat ice (laughs) Ice cream cream, (laughs) both both fine films and both true for gravity she does not eat ice cream and nor does anyone hear her scream spoiler alert (laughs) no ice cream in gravity (laughs) i wonder if there's that one fan out there who's just like well what's the point of even watching it now (laughs) i love the yeah gravity's up for best sound editing and sound mixing okay what about best score um no gravity's not up for score because like i i really loved the score mm-hmm. but at the same time i loved it in the sense that the, the way it was integrated into the sound design exactly yeah so that might have like deterred voters from but also what is up for best score you, um uh, i will tell you the book thief by john williams didn't see it but i think john williams is required to have like a nomination a year or something. oh so. wait a minute gravity by stephen price <laughs> all right awesome awesome never, never mind uh, yeah okay. it is up for best score i don't know why i didn't see that um yeah book thief gravity her by william butler and owen pallet oh i didn't know that are they arcade fire or is that a separate yeah that's um yeah Will- william butler is arcade fire owen pallet um worked with arcade fire but he's also the um the guy from his own band was called final fantasy which is confusing when you're trying to like search for it online because he named it after popular game series but um yeah he's like a uh, violinist um okay he's really cool they her and gravity the scores are very similar actually in the way that they use like the electronic element Hmm. philomena and saving mr banks which is a thomas newman yeah i mean it's saving mr banks like i i enjoyed the i mean i didn't really pay attention to the music but it was like just traditional Mm. score but that that's not a bad thing but it's it's weird to think like listening to like her and gravity i'm like this is this music's amazing and then it's like you know what score i really enjoyed was uh 12 years a slave yeah, I thought that the the music in that was really really cool because it wasn't conventional. Mm-hmm. It wasn't what you'd expect, like you know, a traditional kind of slave story to be scored. You know, you kind of think of like you know, the period instruments and stuff, but this was very like almost. Um, I don't know. It sounded almost like mechanized in some way. Mm-hmm. Or like you know, it had harsh kind of sounds and like steel, 
hitting like I don't know, just banging on steel, uh, like metal, scrap metal and stuff. I don't know. I really, uh, I thought it was cool. Um, kind of surprised not to that that's not nominated, but there can only be five nominations. Yeah. So. Um. Gravity and Twelve Years a Slave had very similar endings. Um, in like, that they just kind of end. Well, in that, it's well, it, like with with Twelve Years a Slave, you know that like well, it's based on a book that this guy wrote. Right. So clearly, he's not gonna die at the end of the movie. Right. Um, and clearly, it states Twelve Years a Slave. Yes. So at some point, he's not gonna be a slave anymore. Right. Um, well, I mean, the movie still could have ended with his death. Like, if he, you know, like, it could have been one of those cheesy endings where it's like, then you flash forward and he's old and he's, like, writing the, the book and then he puts the the ink quill pen down and, like, you know, lays in bed and just dies. <laughs> have you seen Godfather 3? Yes, I have Because that's seen all I'm picturing is just <laughs> the very end of the movie, just, like, slumping over. <laughs> Dropping the orange. Um, those movies and their oranges. Um, just just a sense that like you're like as low as you can go. You're just in a desperate like you're you almost like are like letting yourself like accept like well I'm doomed mm-hmm. and you're gonna resign yourself to it and then out of nowhere like Deus Ex Deus Ex Machina more so in Gravity. We'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like oh wait no. Never mind. You're gonna make it. It's okay. And like in Twelve Years a Slave, like I just sitting there watching it, um, you start to like when the guy shows up, you kind of are like, oh, is that what the is he gonna? And then like, it it reminds me of like th- these like recurring uh, nightmares that um, I think everybody has. I have them. Where you're in this horrible situation, like you're being kept prisoner by evil people who are torturing you or doing something horrible to you, and then all of a sudden you get away and mm-hmm. you're with your family and stuff. But right. then those horrible people show up and take you away from your family. Ah, uh-huh. yeah. Do you have those? Is that a thing, or is that just something that happens to me? I have those. I mean, all the time. I'm not a psychologist, Tim. <laughs> but, but anyway, anyway, um, but like, you're kind of like. You know, I, I kind of like lost track of how far in the movie we were. So I was like, "Is this when he finally gets away, are or you, is he going to almost get away?" Are you talking then... about like at the end when he's like, you know, Mister Parker, and he sees yes. like, you know, yeah, when he shows. and they're like, "Is is your name?" What mm-hmm. and like and like and then just um, and then he gets away, and you keep thinking like Michael Fassbender is going to do something. Yeah, something's yeah. going to keep this from happening, or somebody's going to like get a loophole or something. And then he finally gets away, and it's just like this amazing feeling of elation you mm-hmm. get. Yeah. And it's like the same feeling you get with like these big action sequences in other films. And all they need to do is just like. It, but in this, it's like you're just so into the drama of this yeah. character, the plight of this character, and like mm. you are totally invested in it. Yeah, I mean, 12 Years of Slave, I was, I was totally invested in his, uh, in his journey. And it was funny because like. When it started, I was kind of like, I don't know. It took me a little while to sort of. I was underwhelmed through. I'm like, yeah, this yeah. is the masterpiece everybody's been talking. Yeah, about? I was like, for the first like, I don't know, maybe like half hour or so, I wasn't as like into it as 
as I later became like by the end I was like really feeling like emotional and you just like get the movie really like breaks you down in the same way that like the movie's all about how you know how this slavery can just break your spirit you know and uh change you from like a free person with you know an independent free thinking person to a, a servant and a slave and becoming like sort of just a, a, accepting that lifestyle um and i felt like kind of like i've kind of went through a similar journey um where i was putting myself in that position and just thinking like how fucked up would it be like if you had like your life taken away from you like that um and then like the ending of gravity with the ending but i mean as far as like when george clooney shows up again yeah you're like no yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's what are the odds and then it explains itself that like no that's not actually right happening or maybe it was but he wasn't physically there Mm -hmm. it could have been a spirit thing it could have just been in her mind and um and i really liked it and i feel like a lot of people probably didn't but i don't know uh did you like it um i thought it was kind of uh i think i'm i air i lean more towards the, the i didn't like it side it didn't like particularly stand out as something that I was like, oh, I, I hated that or it ruined the movie for me or anything. But I just, I don't know. It felt a little cheap to me. I mean, he It's came... like a cheap way to like get like more screen time for George Clooney or something. But also, even if it hadn't been George Clooney, like he had to give her that information about the landing gear. Or not landing gear, the landing jets or whatever mm-hmm. to uh, that she could also use to... Uh, propel herself yeah and i mean i think about like okay like if i was writing that movie yeah you you write her character to that point where she's like she's gonna she's she's giving up and she's like all right there's no way i can get out of this as a writer how do you change her mind you know well what would change somebody's mind what would salvation be exactly and that's why like i'm i'm can understand where they're coming from because that is a good way to uh to demonstrate her she's you know she's running out of oxygen basically she's gone through this whole thing she's like falling asleep she's ending it and she has this scenario just running through her mind about like you know oh like i just wish he could like you know he'd just show up and like you know this is what he'd say and it kind of like the way i sort of interpret it is like she you know when you're an astronaut like you're trained for every like contingency basically so she the information about the landing gear or whatever she probably are was she already knew in some way was buried in the depths of her you know training but he gave it to her and as she's like you know running out of oxygen and running this scenario through her head and like she's just like you know trying to like imagine what he would say and like you know whatever and she's in that sort of that beautiful in-between state when you're like you're dreaming but you're neither like awake nor fully asleep you ever you ever ride those yeah. waves <laughs> um and that like that's when like your your dreams are the most vivid and wild and crazy um 
she's kind of in that state i think so i mean yeah i i think um you know it works yeah and i mean there's that and there's also all right he his sacrifice Mm. when he undoes himself and he does it so calmly yeah he's like wait all right these ropes aren't strong enough for both of us in holding on to me you're actually going to end up killing both of us so you can save yourself i'm just going to undo this you can live bye like (laughs) um he he dies so that she can live he sacrifices himself for her and it's it's like he it's like okay he it's like he dies for it's he's jesus in this in this scenario where he dies for her mm-hmm. and then he rises again if you will mm-hmm. uh not three days later just like a few minutes later an hour <laughs> later however long it is. or yeah. it's got to be 90 minutes because right the, yeah the debris is going around 90 minute intervals um and then because he has done that she is able to go to heaven like the christian belief that jesus died for our sins so that we can go to heaven right so that we may be saved so he he kills himself he sacrifices himself he dies so and then he comes back right as she is like willing to like kill herself right well not willing to basically giving up yeah and where does she go thanks to him where is her next destination where is she able to get to the, that space station mm. yeah the, the the chinese space station, which is called so like tiangang or something mm. which means heavenly palace ah which i didn't know until i looked at the trivia section on imdb and you just happen to see that like oh this the name of the station translates to heavenly palace and then you put to, that whole jesus thing together yeah and that's very nice very nice and then she you know like is able to like get back to earth she plunges underwater and she comes back up and it's like she's born again yeah she's been baptized yeah and it is a very spirit i mean the whole film like on the surface level it's about someone trapped in space but that's not what it's about and it might not be about like jesus Mm -hmm. but like i feel like it is about somebody who is um dealing with like the stages of grief and like the um or not grief the stages of loss right because her child the backstory is that she's lost her son or her daughter or was it her daughter yeah yeah it's been a while since with the because she had long hair that she didn't like to brush so it was full of knots And she kind of died in like a very like kind of meaningless way, where it was like this she slipped and random fell accident. Her head. Yeah, she was like playing. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and when uh, so Sandra Bullock's character found out, she was driving. So ever since then, if she's not sleeping or working, she just drives. And now she's in space. <laughs> she drove all the way. She drove to space. To space. <laughs> space truckers. Anyway, <laughs> coming soon to A and E. Space trucker. Um. Yeah. No, I hadn't. Uh, I hadn't thought about it through that through that lens before. It makes sense. It actually uh, kind of turns me on to the story a little little more because that was like the the thing that was um, to me when I saw it was 
surprising is just how little story there actually is. Mm. Um, Which is great because then you have to read things into it. Yeah, that's true. And you true. have to like, like, like you, you bring, you bring your own stuff to it. Mm. Um, it's like the, like Gus Van Zandt's, uh, uh, death trilogy um jerry elephant and last days where like stuff happens in them but such long periods will go by where nothing is happening there'll be long shots just static shots where like there there's just somebody like standing still or something like that and there's nothing in the frame so your mind starts working and bringing your own stuff into it yeah and i mean and with just like one of the things that is very impressive about gravity is just how laser focused it is on just like this one person's <clears throat> experience um and there's not like many movies that i can think of that literally i mean technically i guess they're they're the cast is like there's three people but one of them doesn't even really count as a character and much. you only really see their face once and it's horrifying <laughs> yeah it's been split in half yeah. um and so, I mean, you hear the other people on the and there's the, you know, the, the random sort of chatter, yeah. But really, it is just like there are two characters, and one of them is a very, it's it's a it's a supporting role, and it's like when her daughter died, she was playing and she slipped and hit her head, and when that character died, he was just playing. He was playing. He was just jumping around, and the debris came and hit him in the head, and he died. Uh-huh. Wow, you're like, you're, yeah. And that, like, set off the, okay, that character's dead. And then that started the whole crisis where, I mean, even if that character hadn't died, the debris still would have been attacking the ship. Not mm-hmm. attacking, but hitting the ship and damaging <laughs> everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, because the debris first coming sort of set the whole thing in motion. And what was it from? Uh, the Russian missile attack? They attacked their own satellite? Some Yes, yeah, it was like some missile test or something, I think, and they... It was the most random, th- like, that's another, like, that's why I think, like, this isn't, this is not about anything that happens in outer space. Right. Because it's like, that's the most, that's the dumbest thing <laughs> that starts it off. And George Clooney's random, like, I'm back. Like, that's a dumb thing. Like, it has to all be, like, not that, like, dumb things can't happen in movies and they're just dumb things. <laughs> well, but I mean, I mean, like, it's another level. Yeah. And I think part of the, the whole thing about this movie was how it was praised for how like um realistic everything the space mm. um the space work mm. <laughs> i guess was portrayed but there were a lot of um astronauts and people who worked uh, like nasa and stuff who saw the movie and who were like you know this is not anything like what it <laughs> actually is like they're like sandra bullock she's uh, she's a doctor what's she doing in space like we would never send like a you know like an untrained doctor like she would never be an astronaut like you know and it's just it is weird when you think about it it's like you know she's a doctor and she's there to like hook up some equipment some medical equipment or something yeah she's like (laughs) like, pushing things you know like oh it's medical equipment i guess we need a doctor to hook this up you know it doesn't really make sense but you know she's a uh, she's the perfect kind of sympathetic character yeah. to put to put in there. She's she is the audience's gateway character. And she was I mean, she was in space because she needed to get over her daughter's death. That's mm. why she was quote in space unquote. Mm. 
and I mean, it's like <laughs> over the course of the movie, you know, you have like basically every man-made structure that we've put into orbit is like fucking destroyed. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the international space station is fucking demolished. You know, they're like, this is like the last shuttle mission or whatever. Like the shuttle is fucking destroyed. The Hubble telescope, that's fucking destroyed. <laughs> the Chinese station, fucking destroyed. The Russian shit, like everything is just like destroyed yeah. by this one incident of like debris that's spinning around the planet. It's like if it were possible for like that sort of thing that to happen and destroy everything, like it would have happened in real life. You know, you have to assume that NASA has it figured out that like they know where to position the international space station to like you know where it's not going to be hit by that kind of debris but i mean like it's like this one thing happens and it sort of ricochets and expands then it yeah it feels like everything is destroyed it feels like your whole world is over but you have to have faith and you'll be fine maybe not faith in a spiritual thing but faith faith in yourself yourself, faith in your own ability yeah yes faith not losing all hope not abandoning all yeah all hope yeah and maybe that's that's, maybe that's why everything it was space was just like this wasteland of like man-made debris empty void of nothingness which is yeah it totally makes sense man i you've you've kind of opened my eyes to the movie in a new way i kind of yeah i mean i like it i think i like a lot more now and like a lot of these are things like I'm just thinking of now. Like I, I really want to see it again now, like with this and bring that in. Mm. And I still uh, really want to see it in 3D. Oh, um, you really do. Need to. <laughs> and it's like it wasn't it was at one point I kind of like shook a little and I was like, what am I doing? It's like I'm watching 3D and yeah, I've got like the surround speakers and mm-hmm. everything, but it's not like I'm in like a William Castle thing or something <laughs> like in the movie matinee where John Goodman is like shaking the theater, right, the, right. but it felt like that. I kept like physically moving. No, I mean, it feels like a ride. Yeah. Like it, it really does feel like a fucking amusement park ride because mm. you're just put into this, put into the shoes of that experience of like this is what so i mean that's what's cool about the movie is that it does operate on those kinds of different levels it isn't just about that visceral experience but Mm. i guess there is there is more going on and there's this one like perfect moment in it that reminded me of a scene in john carter (laughs) (laughs) really (laughs) where she gets back to earth and she comes out of the water and she comes up on the shore and she tries to get up oh yeah she falls and it's like oh yeah gravity the name of the movie she had been without gravity for so long that she, and it reminded me of the scene where he's learning to walk on, um, whatever the hell that, um, on Mars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and just keeps like jumping around. I didn't think of it in the theater. I'm thinking of that now, fortunately, cause I think that would have kind of taken me out of it. Like the very end of the movie, I'm like, Oh, it's like John Carter. <laughs> <laughs> John Carter did it. <laughs> Rip off. But it just, even just, uh, physically and emotionally everything to Sandra Bullock just was like just amazing in this and um yeah maybe I mean you know maybe I really wasn't as into the movie as I could have been if I had seen it in 3D because part of like in the back of my mind the whole time while I was watching it I was thinking about like oh like what 
trying to more so imagine what it would look like in 3D. What might did, have distracted me from What did her tears look like in 2D? I'm curious about that. When she starts crying and her tears come off her face and float out, what was that like in 2D? Because that was, like, amazing. Unremarkable. Okay. Un- did did you see them? Because, fl- I mean, yeah, the I lack saw, of gravity, so the I tears... I saw them, yeah. But it wasn't okay. like, you know, wow, that looks amazing. All right. Watch it again in 3D. <laughs> For the love of God. I, re- I guess it really is a, uh, a hindered experience. Yeah, I will have to watch it again. This is a random thought. Do you know the BG song Tragedy? Yeah. Every time <laughs> every time that I would string up the movie Gravity <laughs> I would say I would hum it and in my mind I would sing the song but only you know Gravity <laughs> When you're feeling something about the song is gravity <laughs> I don't know I don't know why or where that came from but yeah. Now every time I see the word or hear about the movie, I, that song comes to my head. Now, if you were showing 12 Years a Slave and you were doing the uh, mm-hmm. reels, would you be like, I'm the 12th year of slavery? Oh boy, yeah. It is funny, like, <laughs> there are some certain things that, like, certain uh, movies that have triggered songs like that. Yeah. And I can't think of any off the top of my head, but there are, there are definitely some that um, I'll wind up replacing the uh or just like i don't know like there's actually one for philomena i can't remember what it is yeah i don't know that's a good one yeah <laughs> um <laughs> yeah i don't know what 12 years a slave would be uh what would be like it would be hard to uh associate 12 years a slave with anything joyful <laughs> like 12 days of christmas had you seen any other alfonso Cuaron films the guy who did Gravity? yeah yep um i'd only seen uh itu mama tambien i've seen uh children of men and uh his harry potter movie uh prisoner of azkaban yeah. children of men is um i think one of the best movies of the last decade and uh, you can definitely see his style. Um, being familiar with that movie, I could see his, you know his uh, his sort of, I guess his stamp on on Gravity. Where um, one of the more famous things in Children of Men is his uh, these really long takes, these these shots that you know just go on and on, mm. um, all in real time. And uh, obviously in Gravity. The whole movie is almost in real time. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it was in real time, that would be over three hours. Yeah. Because the debris comes by two more times. Yeah. But, yeah, within the... I mean, there are so many, like... There's there's the one, like, extremely long... When she's listening to the man and his dog and his baby, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, as she's, like basically resigning herself to death it's just like this extremely long shot in the whole opening of the movie i think i don't know when the first cut happens but it's a long time it's a long time into the movie um before a cut happens i mean 
<laughs> what's funny is like I don't know how much of this movie is real. Um, as far as like what was actually photographed, I'm surprised the camera just didn't float away into space when they were up there. I know. I don't know what kind of crazy <laughs> camera rig they had, but it must have been really amazing. It um, was shot at Shepperton, apparently. Which um, a lot of stuff gets shot there. Do they do? Did they shoot Star Wars there? In the UK? Yeah. I don't know. I know that Star Wars was shot in, in the UK. In England. I think there are a ton of movies where at the end it says, like, shot in Shepperton, UK. Shepperton Studios. Yeah. Um, oh, what was I saying? About shots and the how many cuts? Oh, or yeah, how long cuts. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've seen a little bit of the behind the scenes of gravity just like a couple just like still photographs of what they were you know what they shot and i mean a lot of like you know the uh even like the the suits that george clooney and sandra bullock were in in a lot of those shots where you're seeing them full body the only real photographed element is like their face their head Mm. and everything else is just like computer generated um But, I mean, it really looked pretty damn real. Um, There wasn't, there weren't too many um, effects, effect shots that, I mean, every shot in that movie is an effect shot. Yeah. Um, It never, like, breaks its, uh, breaks that realism, though. There aren't many moments where, there aren't any that I can think of that really stood out to me as being, like, Oh, that didn't look too good. Technically, it's it's a wonder. It really is. Um, you were talking about the scene where Sandra Bullock is listening to the the guy, the shepherd guy, or whatever, with his dogs. Or, yeah. Um, shepherd that, is he a shepherd? That's what I'm getting to. Um, there is actually a short film that was directed by. Alfonso Cuarón's son that is from the perspective of that guy oh okay is that because I saw that on Sandra Bullock's IMDb page she's there's a short film where she plays the same character that's yeah that, okay. that must have been it and I think they just like take the her dialogue that she's saying you know and we basically just see the events from this guy's perspective and he's like a shepherd in like Iceland or something Okay, a shepherd. Interesting. Ah, yeah, this that supports your uh, <laughs> this Christian theory. Yeah. Totally. Um yeah, I haven't seen the I haven't seen the short, but Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Now I'm really curious. It's probably online. Had you had you seen any um other Steve McQueen movies? Um, um The Blob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a, the joke we did last time too. This uh The Black British Steve McQueen. Have you no, seen no, any of No, no, I haven't <laughs> I haven't seen any of his other movies. All right. Yeah, I, I mean, he did. I guess he did a lot of movies like in the '90s that were like um, experimental, like art installation type things. 
And then it's only in recent years he's gotten to like narrative features with um, hunger and shame, which uh, I think that's how uh, Michael Fassbender became known is yeah. through Steve McQueen's movies. Yeah. Um, I I think I'd only seen him in Inglorious Bastards. Um, um, yeah, I've seen Michael Fassbender in um, well Prometheus and uh the x-men movie that he's in where he plays magneto and uh he's in jonah hex actually <laughs> he's that one movie the... comes up so often too too it's often weird. i think <laughs> i didn't know that he was in it when i saw it but um he's actually one of the more tolerable aspects of of that movie i saw the trailer for the um the new x-men movie and the new avengers movie uh before gravity and um you saw a trailer for the new avengers movie the Captain America Captain Winter America. Soldier. <laughs> They're all, the Avengers, right? Isn't that the whole? <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, I, I won't. I won't bust your balls on it. <sighs> I was gonna say, because the Avengers two trailer hasn't even been released yet. They <laughs> haven't even shot it yet, Tim. <sighs> I don't know, but anyway, um, the Captain America one looked boring, but they they've all looked kind of boring to me for some reason, except for the Iron Man ones. Um, but the X-Men one looked uh, really interesting, actually. Yeah. Days of Future Past. Yeah. Which I thought already came out because I feel like that's a title I've seen for like years on IMDb, but probably because they always have, I'll look up an actor and it'll be like, oh, in preparation, filming, pre-production, post-production, completed. Yeah. So. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, let's dig into 12 Years a Slave a little more. Um, like I said before, I, I really dug it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I dug that slave movie. I don't know. I I dug it, man. It was groovy. Uh, I was surprised when I saw the, um, the end credits that, uh, I'm going to give this a whirl. Um, Kiv... I don't know. The girl from Beast of the Southern Wild uh, was in it. Kev- was she? Kevinzane? Kevinzane was she, Wallace? Um, who, who was she? Uh, she, was one, she was a little girl. Um, was she the one who was split up from her mother? No. Uh, she was... Uh, that, he, she was his daughter. Do- she was Solomon uh, Northup's daughter. Oh, okay. In the early scenes. Okay. Um. I'm pretty sure she didn't play her as an adult. That'd be some interesting, like makeup. That would be quite the uh, the special. She deserves an Oscar for that. That was (laughs) yeah. But but like, and it was like a small role and stuff. But it's like after Beast of the Southern Wild, it was one of those things where it's like, oh, she did a that was a good performance. I doubt she'll do a lot Mm -hmm. coming up because you know that was like a specific type of performance in a specific type of film but yeah i don't know it's nice that she's there are a lot of those like sort of uh actors who are just like absolutely perfect for this one role and then often will just kind of like not really the girl in precious um yeah yeah she, she's done a couple of things since then but i mean not like a lead but, i mean that that movie will always like define her career 
Um, but you know, I mean, like the the, the girl in Beast of Southern Wild, like she's still really young. Yeah. With with children, especially, you don't know what their lives are gonna turn out to be like. You know, if they're even interested in pursuing acting yeah. as they get older. And it's hard and, to like, tell. I started to judge their performances on like, um, oh, I think somebody was like, somebody got into some hot water for saying the same thing I'm about to say. Oh. Because I guess uh, they read a, a, a degree of racism into it, which is not what I'm implying here, because I'm I'm giving it to like all child actors. Okay. <laughs> I'm saying that like certain performances uh, from child actors, it would be similar to um, a director like the way they would get a performance out of like a trained dog. Like, look over here, this thing's happening. React this way, mm-hmm. and then they cut it together. Um, yeah, there there are a lot of child actors where they're like they're like, oh, he was amazing in this movie. Like um, the kid from Jerry Maguire, or like, um. I can't think of any right now. Because that's it. That's the best child performance ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, when you're a kid, like, everything is real in that way, yeah. you know? You can't, we can't all be Shirley Temple as a child and just... And well, just or like it. Drew Barrymore in E.T. Yeah. But she's obviously, you know, gone on to do... Alligators in the sewer. I don't remember what context that line was said, but I remember just like quoting that a lot growing up. So, did she say that in the movie actually, or that I made that up over the years? Did she go like alligators in the sewers? No, yeah, no, that's in. She that's does. In, okay. it's, at, it's at the beginning of the movie. All right, yeah. <laughs> I think she's like repeating it. Yeah. Um. um. Anyway. <laughs> We're, we got this whole conversation about this one child actor who's in like, like a tiny part <laughs> the tiniest the... <laughs> role in 12 years of slave there are a lot of um prominent actors in somewhat tiny roles paul giamatti shows up paul giamatti brad pitt Benedict he, he, Cumberbatch. on reverse shot.com um uh for like their like end of 2013 thing uh they were um they'll do like best this worst this whatever and like it was like worst supporting actor and it's a tie between saving Mr. Banks and 12 Years a Slave, Paul Giamatti, because <laughs> he was in both of them. And he, he What's weird is, um, and they actually went into this on that website, where he seems to be an actor who really wants to be like a supporting actor and mm-hmm. just disappear into these small roles, but he can't because he has that face. He has that, what you know, Paul Giamatti. Right. And, um, but he's perfectly suited for that kind of role, though. It is a yeah. I think he did well. Um, their issue with it was that it was so over the top. But so much of the acting in this is over the top, and not necessarily in a bad way. No, I mean this. One of the things that was like kind of hard, made it harder for me to get into the movie was the writing of it, mm-hmm. the dialogue, and the way that it was acted, because it has this very like theatricality to it almost. stylized yeah. yeah it's like style like it almost is like shakespeare in a way because he probably i mean it's based on his um memoir mm-hmm. and he was probably writing it not in what people said but the way people would say in a novel possibly like and also you don't remember every exact wording right conversations yeah, and um it's i haven't read the book and i don't I don't know too much about the behind the scenes stuff. I'm thinking it's possible that they took a lot of lines from the book 
Yeah, I was thinking, like, as I was watching it, you know, this is kind of how we imagine people from that era would have talked. But I wonder if you actually, like, brought someone to the future who was of that era and had them watch it, they'd be like, nobody talks like that. Are you crazy? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Where it's like, because we're just basing it off of like letter, like letters written by like you know, like I don't know, well-educated, mm. you know, high-class sort of people. Like Thomas Jefferson writes his you know biography or memoirs or whatever, and it's like he's has this very like incredibly intelligent, you know, delicate way of ta- of writing in his you know speech pattern and stuff. But it's like, did everyone talk in that kind of like? Oh, the protagonist of this film was an educated man, right? That is true, yeah. Not so much all the people around him, but... Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't know. Like, So, at, at first, it kind of, like... It did pr- pr- present a... Uh, I don't know, a certain um, hurdle to overcome for me to sort of get into it a little more. To get into the groove of, of what they were going for. And as as the movie went on, the theatricality of everything kind of grew on me, in a way. Um, I liked uh, Paul Dano in this, who I, mm. I mostly know from Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, I think I think there was something else that I knew him from, but that's there the will main be blood. I still haven't seen it. Oh. is he the main guy in that? Um, well, no, uh, Daniel, like Day- a, Daniel young... Day-Lewis is the Well, who's, the the, there's, like, a main young boy who Daniel Day-Lewis is, like, with, like... Um, well, there's, like, his sort of, like... Are there two kids? His son, who's, like, a lot younger, and then there's, like, this, uh... He's, like, a preacher. Yeah, kid, he's right? a preacher. Okay, kid. Yeah, that's, that's the... That's what, I don't, Daniel, when yeah. the movie came out, I would see the clips and he, stuff. He is kind of, like, the, like, the number two, I guess, okay. in the movie. The piece of shit. Okay. <laughs> he's the number two of that movie. Um... But he w- that's another one where I didn't know I didn't realize it was him until the end credits because I, I don't really know him that well and he doesn't really have a distinct look he's just like one interesting thing about Paul Dano is just, he's just some guy who happens to be in movies <laughs> I, I mean I don't know like I I really like Paul, Paul Dano or Dano or however you pronounce it I don't know ever since I saw him in Little Miss Sunshine I was actually his performance impressed me maybe like the most in some way um and then in there will be blood he's he's amazing um so yeah i've been like kind of a a fan of his so i always like to see him pop up and stuff like this um and then like benedict cumberbatch and benedict cumberbatch yeah uh who plays just like a wretched character because it's like he like later on you get Michael Fassbender who's just downright despicable. Yeah. Who's just like this like hound from hell. Uh but then you before we get to him we have Benedict Cumberbatch who does horrible things but knows they're wrong. Yeah, but does them anyway. Yeah, with Michael Fassbender you get the idea that he's just like this is the way things are. Mm-hmm. I'm going to rape and kill me some people and whip them and do all this horrible stuff and whoopee. <laughs> um, but like w- with like the first guy it's just like 
you it's almost like he is like oh you know i don't mean it right like yeah. i know i own slaves but i know it's wrong and it's like well set him for, like what are you doing you're yeah and uh, it's it's frustrating i realized and, while watching this movie i could totally see benedict cumberbatch playing thomas jefferson in a movie okay i, I think that'd be awesome because in this i almost felt like he was kind of playing like a thomas jefferson kind of role where he's like this plantation owner like he owns slaves but he like he knows that it's wrong and like he's like sort of morally objects to it but does it anyway yeah and, and he, he might able set them to is able to justify it somehow to himself yeah. and he might like set them free in his will or something but as mm-hmm. long as he's alive he'll keep those slaves right and and that's one of the uh i don't know the one of the great conundrums of american history that people have kind of struggled with is is thomas jefferson and his sort of uh hypocritical nature when it came to slaves Mm. where like he early on in his political career like actually tried to abolish slavery yeah but through his entire life like he owned slaves and never set any of them free or i think like he might have like set some free as they got like too old to like work but it was never like um you know of all like a lot of the founding fathers most of them anyway all set their slaves free even like you know george washington and benjamin franklin and that they all were like you know we're not gonna have slaves Thomas Jefferson, who was who wrote the Declaration of Independence, who penned the words like "all men are created equal," never took that step. And it's yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. I watched the whole um, Ken Burns documentary about Thomas Jefferson, and uh, really, I, I really I don't know love the character of Thomas Jefferson. He's a, he's a, he was a fascinating person. When I was, um, I must have been in like junior high, I wrote um, an SNL sketch about Thomas Jefferson. Never aired, obviously. I never sent it or anything like that. <laughs> but I just wrote like, oh, here's a hypothetical sketch that could be on SNL where Tim Meadows is like listening outside the door as they're like, putting the declaration of independence together and everything and he's just like oh men are created equal all oh, right and like every and like he's talking to like this like woman and this native american and they're like oh everything's like, guess what guys like... like but yeah i wonder where that is that's that's a pretty that's pretty good i like it i mean it in in the summarization it might sound interesting but i think the way i might have actually written it uh i don't know but yeah um uh Brad Pitt is it's weird when he's in it. He can't just be a small role. There's so much attempt like he shows up in something and it's like now it's a Brad Pitt movie. What's going on? Like mm-hmm. it kind of takes you and I understand he's a produ- he produced right, it. He's he can one do whatever the, yeah, he wants. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> he's like I want to be the one who sets him free. Yeah, it's like I need to be the savior in this film. Um, but it's, it's awkwardly 
acted the way like I don't know and like I again I haven't read the book I don't know the exact like true story and everything maybe there was this guy who was just like yeah slavery's wrong and like I'm against it and I'm like but but I, I don't know, it just, it just rings false with me. I, d- I did a little research on, a little Wikipedia research. Okay. A little Wicca research. I don't know if that's a term. <laughs> but um, I think, like, those kinds of events, like, were more or less how it was written in the book. Hmm. Um, like, Brad Pitt's character was a character who was featured in the book. Like, a part of his sort of testimony of what happened, you know that's essentially i guess how it how it went down where he helped him but i mean like you know the 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 way that it's portrayed in the movie like might be either over overly dramatic of how it actually happened i don't know but also going back to the benedict cumberbatch character he i guess is specifically in the in this person's book you know the um solomon's actual testimony of what happened like in his life he talks about uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's char- uh, character is that his owner at the time as being like a really a great man mm-hmm. who was like you know he 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 thought highly of him um but yeah so I guess there is that kind of weird sort of I don't know they had an interesting relationship where like he respected him but like he never you know never set him free I mean it was if you had to choose one of those plantations to live on, you I would know. choose the <laughs> one. Because, I mean, not only just, like, he treated him somewhat better, but he listened to his ideas. Mm-hmm. Didn't and, just, um, like, you know, just dismiss him as being a lesser yeah. creature. Um, but, like, it is, like, even, I mean when it becomes clear that like oh well he has like engineering experience and stuff you'd think he would be like oh well then clearly you weren't born a slave and but yeah and it's it's weird that the saratoga scenes Mm. they didn't shoot it in saratoga but when i was watching it i was like are they in congress park yeah right yeah like where but i don't like in that scene where like the the opening of the the beginning of the movie is so weird because it's just like (laughs) <laughs> the way that like he's sort of kidnapped there's like these, these two, guys. two guys in like top bats comes like excuse me gentlemen. it's like, like the two guys that pinocchio meets i know right yeah it's the, really like, weird the... <laughs> <laughs> very I, strange i don't like and i mean that's what really happened so i guess that's what happened but like i didn't if it was in a fiction film i'd be like no bullshit <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, in the in the when I was reading about the real story of what happened, another heartbreaking thing is like he escaped slavery after twelve years, and then um, set out to hunt down the the people who kidnapped him. Yeah, and the person I think um, Paul Giamatti's character who sold him mm. to try to like get them you know arrested and prosecuted and tried and in prison because they kidnapped him and sold him into slavery which was against the law right um and they all three of them at various times like went to trial but like all of the all three of them got away with it none of them were 
were uh, were persecuted for the for the crime. Um, or prosecuted, I mean. Yeah. Did you figure out why? Like, what was the defense? Because, like, I think they say that at the end in like the little titles, right? Oh, do they about, say that? I think they say that they um they were never um convicted or something. I don't even remember that. I just watched it last night. Maybe it was, I remember it was really it wrong, late. I don't know because I watched it like. Three well, if weeks you knew if you knew that fact, then like, it probably was at the end. I remember that they did have like a few lines, a few paragraphs at the end. Well, not paragraphs, but there was a lot. Of, like when films do that, like sometimes it's nice when there's like a line or two. Yeah. But Twelve Years a Slave, I feel it seemed like to it kinda, had a few it had, pages. Yeah, it it's few. like, couldn't you have worked this into the movie then? Like, right. Like, yeah. But. Yeah, but yeah, I wonder how that never... But I mean, like, there have been a lot of things where they people got off for ridiculous... The Twinkie defense with uh, Harvey Milk and everything, like... Yeah, I mean, it was a... It was a crazy time. It's it's hard to watch something like 12 Years a Slave. The one shot with the where he has to whip Ugh, her. Man, there are so many scenes in this movie that are really, like... Where I was literally just, like, brought my hand to my mouth. Yeah. In in that kind of awe and like oh shit, like there was that scene where he's forced to whip um, Patsy, which is just like, ah, oh, this fucking her whole character is just fucking so brutal, man. Tragic and pathetic, and, and then the scene where he is uh, like hanged and supporting himself by his toes. Yeah, and the shot goes on for so long and the other slaves come out and they're milling about behind him and they all have to ignore him. Yeah. And the fucking scene where they're all dancing and the, and Michael Fassbender's wife grabs that fucking glass, uh, whiskey bottle and throws it right into, uh, Patsy's face. She's horrid. Everyone is horrid. Slavery ruins everybody, not even just the slave owners, but it, it makes the slaves horrible. Like, one thing... All right. Um, a lot of people give the film Mandingo a lot of shit. Have you ever seen Mandingo? No, but I've seen uh, well, Django Unchained, which it has some influence there. Okay. Um, so I'm familiar with a little bit about the movie. It's, you know, this, like, 70s film about slavery that was it sort of focused on some like some of the trashier elements it really sexualized it mm -hmm. a lot of people were like oh it's just turning slavery into like it's exploitation, a, it's a, it's exploitation yeah. yeah but it was just what i loved about the film um was that it it did treat it as exploitation it just everything was so trashy about it but it's like that it's about trash because mm -hmm. slavery is trash and like the people like they're like oh well the slaves do these horrible things and it's like because they're treated like animals and they become animals and then like the slave owners do these horrible things and it's like and then you get like these a couple of sympathetic characters and there's like a, a slave a, you know there's like a white slave owner who falls in love with his slave um and then at the mind if i do spoilers or, i mean like for Mandinga? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So like at, at the end, there's a turning point where, um, you know, she's thinking like, oh, he, he loves me and all this. And we, as the audience, we kind of like the guy uh, and he's like, oh, maybe he'll, you know, save her and stuff. And she like says something about loving him and he's like, 
are you kidding? You realize you're just my property, right? And he, like, beats her. Oh, God. And it's like, you don't really... See, I mean, you kind of see it coming, because it's just... Um, and, like, there's no... No one gets out of that unscathed. And at the end, there's, like, a big, like... Like, massacre scene, where, like, there's so many characters just lying around dead. Mm. So many of the main characters are just dead at the end of the film, and you're just seeing all the bodies, and it just reminds me of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm. which came out around, like, within a year of that, I think, and it just... Where it's just like this, like Southern Gothic, like tragic, violent mess. That... You've never seen Django Unchained? No, I haven't. I've got it coming in the mail on Blu-ray. We should watch it when I get it. It should be here really on Thursday, to. I think. Cool. Um, you lo- you really liked Inglorious Bastards? I did, which I just saw it the first time like <laughs> two weeks ago, and it blew my mind. Well, after seeing Twelve Years a Slave, like Django <clears throat> Unchained is, is like therapeutic. <laughs> because it's like justice will be done motherfucker it's like getting to watch eli roth shoot hitler multiple times kind of yeah right. <laughs> where it's just like and and a lot of people gave Django unchained some shit because it was like oh you're depicting slavery all wrong like a lot of this stuff didn't happen you know because they show like mandingo fighting um which i'm assuming in mandingo is part of the the plot Mendingo fighting in Django and Chain oh, okay, is yeah. like two slave owners will like pit their slaves to to fight to the death. Um, and I guess like there's absolutely no historical evidence to support that that ever happened. But Tarantino makes movies about movies, and that happened in the movie, so, right? So this yeah. like this takes place in the movie world, you know. Yeah. This is like, you know, it's not like real. But the people... Glorious Bastards was about World War Two propaganda films. It yeah. wasn't about World War Two. So, like, this movie is about, like, you know, slavery movies. And um, it kind of gives... he's And his sort of thing was, like, you know, there's a fucking revenge story here, you know, that, like, has never really been shown in slavery movies, where it's, like, most of the time when someone does a movie about slavery, it's, like, it's very, like, solemn. And, you know, oh, we have to, like, respect the memory of everything that happened here. And, like, you know depicting the, the horrors of it and everything but he's like i want to see the slavery movie where like the slave fucking fights back and says like no i will not like be subjected to this and gets his fucking revenge and it's it's great i i i love Django Unchained. i think in an earlier episode i mentioned that how like none of us seem to know that it took place in saratoga partially and a lot of people were like oh that's here oh my god yeah that's where we're watching this movie and like there like, there was a murmur in the crowd but there was also um in the early scene like it starts out there's a few there's like like a couple bits that come later in the story but we see them at the beginning and there's a scene mm-hmm. where he and the female slave um they i think yeah, what's going on there exactly? Uh, is she jerking him off, or is she just, uh, or is he just fingering her, or what? Something. I thought that they were like it's having mutual. sex. They I were thought, having sex. I thought because oh, the way his arm was, I thought that it, okay. I thought it was like kind of. She just kind of like rolled on top of him. All right. The, then, the movement. The movement of his arm threw me then. Okay. And just, you know. Um. Yeah. Started. And there's no like pleasure in it whatsoever. It's just like this like animal thing happening like yeah. 
uh, and then she cries. Mm-hmm. And um, this old woman in the row, like a few seats away from me, turns to the person she's with and she just goes, why is she crying? Oh my God. And it's like, first of all, you, you don't... No, nobody in this room has seen this movie before, so you can't ask why yet. That's for the end of the movie. Like, why did this happen? Why right. did this person do this, act this way? And, like, that happens so many... Like... Like, I, I don't know. I just butted the crap. And also, like, this is a really inappropriate thing to do in a theater. Yeah, especially, like, but... in such a stark <laughs> moment. Very, like, you know, I mean, that's, like... And it's, like, based on everything in that scene, you could tell there were other people around. Yeah. They were slaves. Why wouldn't she cry? <laughs> like, what was that? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, it's crazy. Like, I'm... <laughs> Like I said, I um, I watched uh, August Osage County today mm. at Amy's, and um, I watched it in a theater that had I think about six to eight people, all elderly, um, mostly all elderly women. I think I think they were all elderly women, and um, right at the beginning of the movie, um, Meryl Streep has this line where she says, uh, "Fucking go fuck a fucking sow." Fucking go fuck a fucking sow? Yeah. Okay. And uh, <laughs> there was like an audible gasp from all of like the, <laughs> the people in the theater. And they sort of turned to each other and were murmuring like, oh my God, I can't believe she just said like, oh, well, I never. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just like this sort of flustering about. And I realized that like, uh, there are a lot of people who probably were like, oh, Meryl Streep movie. Oh, she's so great. <laughs> and then she's playing a very different kind of character in that. But yeah, I mean, it, it's yeah, it's funny. Amy's tends to attract a lot of that kind of crowd, anyway. That's one of the the problems with Downtown Glens Falls. I think a lot all of the old ladies. <laughs> a lot of the well, a lot of the businesses there, like I feel like, survive through survive on the people. blood of the elderly. <laughs> yes, pretty much. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I what, hate that question when you're trying to watch a movie though like why is she crying why is he doing that yeah what's who's that guy what's he doing it's just like have you ever tried to explain to somebody like while you're trying to watch a movie like you're sitting in a theater or like i I, you know even when somebody gets up and comes back like if they go into the bathroom they come back they'll be like what did i miss oh my god and you're like um i don't want to he was because uh, you're trying to pay attention to the movie that's going on in front of you and then try to remember like when did you get up like what when was the what happened you know one time I'm not going to say the name <laughs> like of the this movie this guy went over and talked with that that guy and uh, it, you, you, you didn't miss much man just forget about it <laughs> I'm not going to say the name of the movie but that happened alright uh, Gavin and I went on a, a double date with uh the girls we were dating at the time, Aaron and Erica, you know, all these people, right? Um, I believe so. Yeah. Right. And we went to see a movie. They both got up and went to the bathroom <laughs> and, uh, they came back and we're like, what, what did we miss? Gavin and I look at each other like, how do we do this? I don't remember what he said, but I kind of was like, okay, so his roommate from college and 
the CIA guy that's he's been getting wanting his help. They didn't. Re- they were just in his head the whole time, and he's actually like a paranoid schizophrenic, and nothing has actually been real. And they're like, "What? No! Like, do you know what movie I'm talking about?" <laughs> All right, I'll spoil it. Maybe you haven't. A Beautiful Mind. I haven't seen A Beautiful Mind. Okay. Well, all right. It's already... Well, it's based on a true story, so... (laughs) About halfway through the movie, you find out that the main character is actually insane. And two of the main characters had been figments of his paranoid imagination. Ah, okay. Yeah, Yeah, I didn't didn't know that. They went to the bathroom when we found that out. Wow. Like, pretty much like the worst possible time. Yeah. Which is why I don't understand... I've never gone to the bathroom during a movie before. <laughs> How do you decide? It's tough, man. You got to Because, like... like, tonight, gravity. This guy in the row ahead of me got up and went to the bathroom. I don't remember what he missed or anything, but it's like... Like, George Clooney was already gone. Mm-hmm. It was tense. And, like, the movie is 91 minutes long. Yeah. You figure the credits are maybe, like, three or four minutes. Like, that's a short movie. Yeah, they've got short credits, too. It is a very short movie. And, like, I honestly think he when he got up... He took his popcorn with him, and I'm thinking, like, he went for a refill. Right. So I don't even, like, I don't know what kind of morals that guy has, or what, like, that's not, you don't do that. Like, I don't understand, <laughs> like, the thinking behind that. Now, yeah. granted, he was in a group of four people. Maybe they were all like, we want more popcorn. You have to go. And he's like, what, what? So, like, Son of a bitch. God damn it. But I, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I've been, you know those days... Like, some days you just find yourself having to pee, like, every, like, half hour. Yeah. And you just pee, like, what it seems like, just gallons <laughs> yes, at a time. I've definitely had those days. <laughs> and you're just like, how is all this, like, in my system right now? This is insane. Like, Especially I, winter time. That, yeah. Uh, that's happened to me, like, while I'm trying to watch a movie, like, in the theater before. It happened to me when I went and saw Titanic. Oh, God. Um, And that's, like, you know, a long movie to begin uh, with. But I, I remember I had to get up and go to the bathroom like four times during that movie. And I was just like, <laughs> by the last time, I'm like, what's wrong with me? One of the biggest regrets in my life was that when I went to see the double feature of Mrs. Doubtfire and The Nightmare Before Christmas, I didn't get up to go to the bathroom between the movies. Oh, because <laughs> all through Nightmare Before Christmas, you were like, I was like squirming. Oh, yeah. I would not get up to go to the bathroom. As soon as like the movie was over, I ran to the bathroom, and I think that I would have enjoyed it more. Oh yeah, if, definitely. Because like I was like, oh that movie's okay. Like I'm not. I I just need to pee. Like <laughs> <laughs> that happened to me uh, when I went to go see The Departed. Mm. I it was like the last through like the last like. 45 minutes of the movie maybe i slowly was like starting to feel like oh i gotta pee but i'm like well it, it seems like it's getting to the end so like i can hold out but it just like you know kind of just kept going and i'm like oh god by the end it was like pretty rough but you have you heard of this uh this phone app called run p no do you pee into your phone <laughs> yes it just converts it, it converts into, the headphone jack into okay. a, into a little uh urinal re, re, urine, nice. urine receptacle nice. um no it's a um it's a movie app where you're going to see a movie you're going to see 12 years of slave 
so you go on the app and you like look at the all the movies that are playing in the theater you click on 12 years a slave and it has a breakdown of what time how far into the movie are the best times to go pee and they have little synopsis of what you're missing while you're going going to the bathroom so essentially you basically like i think there's like a timer on it where like when the movie starts like you press like the start button like i'm starting the movie now and it will like you know I don't know if it like vibrates or like little let you know when like oh now's a good time to go pee now's a good time to go pee, and then you run you can go to the bathroom and while you're peeing you can look and be like you know, uh, you know, <laughs> Solomon is being whipped by, <laughs> by this person for doing this but they choose like parts of the movie that aren't like super critical you know yeah so it, tra- it takes the guesswork out of it so you don't miss like you know that's like when um... the big reveal that it's all inside this person's head. When I did a screening of Cannibal Holocaust at Purchase, I gave out a sheet that said, like, if you, if you start your timer mm-hmm. at the beginning of the movie, at this time, this animal will be tortured in front of you. At this time, a sea turtle will be ripped apart for, like, six minutes. <laughs> and, like, look away if you don't want to see these things. Yeah. But, um, but that's, I mean, it's nice to know what happened, but if you're not actually seeing and hearing and experiencing it happening, then you really didn't see the movie. That's true. But I mean, if you're talking about just like, if you're talking about just like two minutes, then it's like, then you didn't see the whole movie. That's true. Well then I technically, everything adds up. Then I technically didn't see August Osage County because I was, I was on the job right? and I had to get up for three minutes while I press play on the other film. I was going to say, like, I feel like over the course of, like, this week and, like, next week and however many weeks, you will have seen August Osage County. But the funny thing that happens is, like, that particular part of the movie, the way that the the timing works out is, like... You'll always miss that part. That part of when it's happening, I'll always have to start the movie at that side. Um, unless, the, unless the schedule changes. Um, which the is part possible. where Abigail Breslin leans over and is like you know i'm actually a man right like <laughs> yeah where she flashes her dick <laughs> okay <laughs> all the old women in the audience are like Woo! oh my god <laughs> um which reminds me what did what did you think of that the moment in 12 years of slave where he looks directly at us there it's like really like it, it's one of I guess this is a thing Steve McQueen does in all of his movies, but again, this is the first one I've seen. And there are several instances of it within 12 Years a Slave where it's just really long takes. And there's the scene where it's it's just him. And, like, he's just looking all around and eventually he just looks right into the camera and he, like, locks eyes with us. And it's like... It's, it's like I think I know what, what you're talking about. It's very uncomfortable and unsettling and it's like... Is it a close-up on him? Yeah. When do you know when? Do you remember when it happens in the movie? I'm trying <sighs> to think. I just watched it last night, and I think I think I know what you're talking about, but I just can't remember what the. But you, it, it just feels like he's saying like, "Why don't you help me? Mm. Like, why don't you stop this? Like, what the hell? Like, reach into the screen and get me out of here. Like, but <sighs> I mean, I was just like, I felt. Like, my soul was being crushed while watching the movie. Like, slowly, but surely, as as it was going on. 
I just felt that like that pressure of being like, you know, that 1984, the boot stomping on your throat, you know, the stifling of your of your soul and how it's the most cruel thing to do to somebody is take away their their freedom. It's and it's hard to imagine that that world that the world of 12 years a slave existed not that long ago. Yeah. You know, we're we're a young country. It was only like a couple we're a couple generations removed from that. You know? This was, was it this the, happened like in Saratoga. This ha- uh, yeah, it was started in 1841, I think, and ended in 19 or 18. Uh, <laughs> yeah, started in 1841 <laughs> and ended in 1953. <laughs> um, 112 years a slave. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um, no, 1853 is when it ended. And there's still worse. I mean, there were loopholes. So, yes, slavery ended in the 1860s. Technically, mm-hmm. there were slaves in the. Well, there's slaves now. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, well, I mean, like, even just like it, it's taken us as a society like basically this long for people of other races and nationalities to be treated as equals in this country. You know, I mean. It was our parents' generation where, like, the you know, during the civil rights movement, where, like, they were finally allowed to, like, vote. Yeah. And, like, and desegregate everything. It's just, it's insane to think about that kind of world. In the late 60s, there were still some states where you couldn't have interracial marriage. Like... It's insane. That wasn't that long ago. Yeah. And it seems like such a fucking foreign notion for us now. I mean, one thing that's like frustrating about things like, uh, like you mentioned earlier, having to like, you know, trying to reconcile like Thomas Jefferson, the author of the Declaration of Independence, with Thomas Jefferson, slave owner. Mm-hmm. And it's like I, my family, my mother's side more so, <laughs> just extremely racist people. Oh. And, like, I could just imagine, like, them, like, in the early 60s being, like, Civil Rights Act, what's this bullshit? And, mm. like, I, I don't know. Like, that's something I, with my family, I've always had to, like, struggle. That's why I try not to go to Thanksgiving with my family anymore. Like, there were a couple of years where I just, like, I made a turkey sandwich and I went to the studio and I ate it. And I was like, that's my Thanksgiving. I'm not dealing with those people. This year I went and I don't really want to go again. Um, <laughs> but, like... Like you say, like oh, it's it like, like it's I don't know. It does. It's not far, and I'm not saying that they would condone slavery. They might. I'd like to think they don't, but I don't know. <laughs> I mean, but there, that, that, on my dad's side, his brother, one of his brothers, he has a fucking Confederate flag in his window, and it's like if you're from the South, you can kind of bullshit like oh, it's Southern pride. Which, right. No, it's pro-slavery. Fuck you. But, like, if you were born in Glens Falls, you've lived your whole life in Glens Falls, and you're most likely going to die very soon in Glens Falls, <laughs> and you have a Confederate flag on your house, yeah. no, you're just a fucking asshole. That's true. But, you know, oh, he's related to me, so I love him. But he's an asshole. 
anyway <laughs> no i mean it's perfectly you know valid to feel that way about it doesn't matter that they're your relatives if they're an asshole then they're an asshole yeah but like i don't know like it's still such a big part of life even though yes it's officially like done on paper i mean that's then that's the thing that it's just like it's so hard to imagine that the world of slavery yeah but the truth is is that it all all it takes is just like it doesn't take much to revert back to that yeah or it wouldn't take much you know all it would take would just be like one state you know somewhere one town to kind of just like well i mean it happens all the time like people you know all it takes is just somebody to fucking kidnap you yeah and just drag you to some place and just beat the soul out of you basically when i was at purchase one of the um one one of the like areas of it is called the alumni village even though like a lot i don't know why it's called that alumni don't live there it's just like um it's one of the one of the nicer like areas of apartments on campus um some one of the students had like a girl in his closet and he'd had her there for like half a semester before anybody even knew she was there and he was just like he just had her in a closet like just his like little slave and it was like disgust it was shocking to everybody it was like this disgusting thing and like and like yes it's not like this big widespread thing that everybody's no, but acknowledging it's, but it's still in like it's, there's you know the, the, the michael fassbenders out there i mean not, yeah. i'm not calling out the actor i'm calling out the character he played in yeah, Tobias Slave. we have to if we kill michael fassbender <laughs> everything will be fine yeah. um no i mean like that character that's that's a part of human nature that's always there you know yeah. and there will always be people there willing to exploit others to basically get that feeling of of authority you know there's the there's that story um where did it happen in michigan where there was it happened last year there were like the three girls that were discovered in this guy's house oh yeah i don't remember where it was but yeah and they had been there for like 10 years but that's that's 12 years of slave right there Mm. that's the story you know just like a fucking predator kidnaps these these girls and just keeps them as his own personal property it's insane i it's like it's hard to imagine somebody having that level of uncaring to be able to do that to somebody else to be able to whip the living hell out of them mm. It's something that, like, I don't know if I could ever do it. And, you know, like, there's the scene where Solomon is forced to, to whip uh, Patsy. And, I mean, and he at, at one point, he has a gun to his head. And is like, whip her. Like, you know, I mean, I don't know. That, that I don't know if I could even, if I could even do that. I don't like talking about 12 Years of Slave. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's fucking depressing, man. <laughs> People just like, you know, and I could say that like, oh, I don't understand it. How someone could do that to someone else. But like, I do kind of understand it. Like, it's 
I understand the in all of the reasoning. Us. Like, and it's not like a reasoning. You know, there isn't like a conscious sort of decision making process that goes on where it's like, oh well, if I do this, then like, I'll I'll be you know I'll feel this way oh. or whatever. It's this kind of like, people do it every single day. I do it, you do it, everybody does it. It's all about prejudice, and not prejudice in the same way that like equals racism necessarily but prejudice about anything whether it's like what kind of music do you like you know when you say something like oh i don't like country music i don't understand how people can like country music people who like country music are you know dumb stupid whatever all that does is try to make you feel superior in some way Anytime you say something like that, that's all it is. And it comes down to uh, pride and jealousy, I think. You know, people say that money is the root of all evil, but it's not true. Money is just the tool by which people are able to make themselves feel like they are important to feel proud about themselves. And they're always looking at other people, other people who they think are better than themselves. And they say, why can't I have what they have? Now, I am just as good as they are. I should have what they have. And so they do things to other people to make themselves feel like they are as important. And, uh, I think, you know, if you can understand, like, your reasoning behind your emotions, I think you can kind of more so control your, your jealous feelings. And I think, you know, I used to be a kind of jealous person, but once you let go of that jealousy, and it's, it comes down to even just, like, little things in your day-to-day life, or, like, you wish you could have, like you know, a relationship like some, like your friend has, or like, you wish you could have like, you know, I don't know the kind of job that your friend has or whatever. Like it's the thinking that like, you're not good enough in some way. Like you're inferior to other people around you and you're always stacking yourself up to other people. But if you can just like accept yourself for who you are and just let go of all that jealous tendency then that need to like prove yourself goes away and that need to prove yourself i think is what drives people to do all of the horrible things that they do because they're just trying to like show that they are somebody and that they are more important than other people they are entitled to the property that they own they are entitled to the money that they have they're entitled to the slaves that they control the people that they control it's there with us every single day and all it takes is just a little bit to push you down a path of uh of of evil darkness (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) i guess that was my uh that was my rant for the day all right (laughs) that's what i got out of 12 years of slave Okay. <laughs> um, 
somewhat random, very off topic from what you just said. <laughs> um, when you mentioned in passing as an example, uh, saying like, I hate country music. Right. <laughs> it, it just, it, it reminded me of a thing in gravity. Oh yeah. yeah. He's, um, George Clooney's character is always listening to country music and he's listening to a song called, uh, angels are hard to find. Just, uh, bringing it all back full circle yeah Yeah, you know and i'm not saying that like you know oh you can't have those opinions like if you don't like country music that's fine but like and i mean i do it all the time you know everybody does it that kind of like oh that movie like i don't how do people like that movie not you know it's not a serious offense not saying this like you're prejudiced (laughs) against people who like (laughs) cutthroat island you know (laughs) <laughs> like who who have you ever met anybody who is like <laughs> yeah i don't know <laughs> but anyway all right let's let's lift our let's lift up the spirits here you want to listen to a, a song from frozen oh yeah we got to do that yeah all right yeah okay Snow glows white on the mountain tonight, not a footprint to be seen. A kingdom of isolation, and it looks like I'm the queen. The wind is howling like this swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in, heaven knows I tried. Don't let them see be the good girl you always have to be conceal don't feel don't let them know well now they know let it go let it go can't hold it back anymore let it go let it go
So that was Let It Go from Frozen. Bit of an anticlimactic ending. That was weird. <laughs> well, if you had watched the the video, <laughs> um, the of what actually is happening in the scene, then I think it would make a little more sense. It kind of flows into a conversation, or because she kind of says it instead of at the end, like the cold never bothered me anyway. Yeah. No, I don't know. I mean, it. I, I don't. I don't know. It makes sense when I think about it in the movie yeah i think it's a i think it's a cool song it's really catchy i've had it stuck in my head since i've seen the movie well i look forward to that um (laughs) it's a great vocal performance that's for sure who is singing um that's a great question let me i i think the it's the actress who played elfaba in wicked on broadway the only uh, time I've ever really listened to any songs from Wicked was when uh, I did the lights for um, a drag show at ACC, and they uh, they did some songs from Wicked. Her name is uh, Idina Menzel. Yeah, and she won a Tony Award for originating the role of Alfaba in Wicked. Yeah, I mean, I think, like... It's hard to kind of compare this song to like what we listened to last week. Um, partly because I mean, this is like it's a central part of the movie. It's okay. like a big scene. It's like, I mean, it's different when you're comparing a, a musical number from a musical, as opposed to just like a song that was kind of just like you know thrown in. Yeah, wh- whose context it, the ties to the movie are pretty you know that's like vague and strenuous i guess that's why i wanted to put off uh doing the song from her until you'd seen her because it's such a like an emotional point right right. it makes sense i mean i'm glad that i watched frozen before hearing the song but i mean it It is a good song yeah and it's one of the songs where like um if it showed up on the radio and be like what is this doing on here right it's just I mean, it sounds like a musical song. Yeah. But at the same time, it has, like, pop elements. To yeah, it, totally. So. Um, I, that, that ice-olation thing, <laughs> I did, uh, I don't know. That it's like Schwarzenegger's bit, yeah. Mr. Freeze. Ice to meet you. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. It's it's I prefer, of the two songs that we've heard so far, I'm going to go with, with Frozen. I think just based on like the other nominees, I think Frozen is probably the most likely to win. Um, just because, like you've been saying, like it's become kind of a phenomena in a way. Like people have been kind of all about this song. Yeah. Um, as as far as like the song goes, um, I would say that it's more likely to win than the Moon Song from her. Um, even th- like that, it works wonderfully in the movie. And it's, like, emotional and stuff, but, like, just as a song on its own, mm. uh, I think this is probably, would probably beat it. See, now, how do they exactly they judge, like, the best song? Is it, like... I think that's one everybody votes on. Right, but, I mean, is it is the voting criteria kind of, like, which song is best utilized for the film? 
or is it just like the song on its own original like just merits i think that's one of those things that each individual voter is he they just make that like some of them probably haven't even seen the movie they've just heard the song like you <laughs> yeah <laughs> which based on that i would vote for happy based like between the these two that we've done so far right um and like others are like, well, it is a really great song, but I don't think it added much to the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, I think it's, I mean, there's really, as far as like, once the nominees are out there, there's no like, now you can't vote for this <laughs> if you don't really think it did this. Right, right. You'd, I mean, I feel like a lot of it comes down to like, oh, I went to a party with that guy once. I'm going to vote for him. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, so you you so of the two, having not seen either of the films that they're included. Like, if somebody was like, "We're gonna listen to one of these songs right now," mm-hmm. which one? Like, I I'd like to listen to "Happy." I think I'd pick just. Uh, See, and I guess that is a big difference because I mean, like, I can totally put myself in that position. Like, if I hadn't seen Frozen, and I was like given the choice between the two, I might go with uh, might go with Happy. Hmm. But I mean in my mind like i just like i don't know i think about my emotional response to the song is all tied up into the plot of the movie and like the character and everything like that so it's like yeah i don't know it it, i think back on it and i'm like oh yeah there's a great scene and a great you know whatever i think like the visuals going on during it which are uh pretty cool um so yeah, I mean, I I don't know, yeah, I'd prefer I prefer the uh, I prefer this song over Happy. I think that's like um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I love that movie, and like when I'm watching it, like I really get into the songs and stuff. And but one time, I found the soundtrack for like a dollar somewhere, and I was just, like listening to it, and I'm just like, this is shit. <laughs> What is it? Like, I, like, I'm just wading through all this, like, dreck, and it's just, like, without the movie, I've got the a songs... golden ticket. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a golden dream to make my day. But I feel like, maybe, like, the Candyman and Pure Imagination, like, they can stand on their own, sort of, but, like, the rest of it, like, it, outside of the film, it's just... I don't know. And like, I mean, that's my opinion. I think a lot of musical numbers from musicals kind of are like that. Although at the book sale this past weekend, I got the soundtrack to the music man and I was playing it in my car and I was like singing along to the whole thing and I was having (laughs) a grand old time. No, I mean, but you know, there, there are a lot of musicals that, you know, I can, I still prefer the Beatles doing till there was you rather than Shirley Jones. But yeah. There's some great numbers in that. All right. So uh, we'll have another song up next week. Um, Not sure what we're going to watch next week. Um, Probably. Well, we'll see. (laughs) At this point, I've seen everything except for Captain Phillips and Dallas Buyers Club. And you've seen both of those, right? Yes, I have. Yep. All right. Which kind of makes it hard to coordinate. (laughs) Because I and I haven't seen her. Nebraska or Wolf of Wall Street. So, Dallas Buyers Club is somewhere on my parents' computer if I can find it and figure out how to get it to 
play or whatever, mm. then I'll watch that sometime in the next few days. But uh, we'll we'll talk about that whole journey next week. That, <laughs> that's an interesting yeah. thing to talk about, actually. No, yeah, that, that process that, that opens up a whole yeah discussion. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. And we'll see you next time. Talking movies. Bow, bow.